0: Hello. Welcome to You Don't... Wait, what is this show called this week?
1: It's called You Don't Know Mojack still. Oh, okay. Welcome to You Don't Know
0: Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And on this episode, we're not discussing an Opal record. We're discussing something else. It's the Cruise Intrusion Part 1, Ryan. Oh, yeah. And you're going to tell us why, later on,
1: why we're not doing the Opal EP. Is that right? Yeah, We'll talk. let's do it. Let's get the spiels knocked off here and then we'll... We'll get into all of that.
0: Whoa, whoa. I don't knock off spiels, man. <laughs> well, you are this week. Yeah, well, with the Cruise Intrusion, this is episode one of a three-part all edition. We're going to cover the band All on Cruise Records, and on this episode, we've got a special guest, brand.
1: Yeah, we've got Dave Smalley on the show.
0: Whoa. I'm so pumped for this. Check it out. I'm wearing my my long-sleeve 1994 punk rock academy fight song down by law tour t-shirt nice to record this episode i'm so pumped Uh, (laughs) yeah i just i just love all of dave's music and especially these all records can't wait but before we do that
1: Brent, you better hit us with some spiels yeah okay so i've got some rock docs for you ryan okay actually This (laughs) this is
0: because because on the wheel of spiels last
1: episode i picked books yes okay yeah do it I, but n- neither of these are recommends, really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are... Okay.
1: Yeah. So you'll hear why here. So, well, one of them kind of is. Uh, so I watched the Wino documentary.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So here's the thing for me. I'm a fan of of Wino. Love his voice. He's an excellent songwriter and an underappreciated guitarist, I would say. I hear a butt coming. Yeah. Well, you probably know what the butt is. Yep. By all accounts... He's a nice guy, who always makes times for his fans. I like many of his projects, Vitus, obviously, Obsessed, obviously, but also his solo acoustic albums, some of his other bands that I have albums by, like The Hidden Hand, Spirit Caravan. It goes on and on, it's all great. This documentary, unfortunately, is not great. Created and directed by his partner, Charlie, I think is her name. It's got your, you know, requisite talking heads with people from bands mostly in the scene. It also prominently advertises that Rollins, Dave Grohl, and Ian McKay are, big obs- are big,
0: obsessed fans. Right? No,
1: it it advertises that they're in in the documentary. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah it yeah. is footage pulled from YouTube of them when, like, from thirty years ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, they have all spoken highly of Wino. Um, In fact, most of this looks like it was sourced from YouTube. It's kind of just a jumbled up mess with no real coherent vision. It's just a mashup of various clips and interviews with Wino and his friends and fans. You know, I'll mention my issue with the Wino clips, and you can probably guess what it is. Uh, because I've ranted about it before, I just have zero time for conspiracy theory bullshit, like, zero. Sorry, but not sorry. (laughs) Like, I'm just so fucking sick of people and their conspiracy theory bullshit and what it's doing to our discourse into our politics. And Wino, unfortunately, is just steeped. In these conspiracy theories. Within 30 seconds, he's going off about chemtrails and some <laughs> bullshit about how the government is filling us all full of pieces of metal to turn us into human antennas for fucking 5G uh, and to mind control us. And he's blathering on about COVID and tyranny and hanging politicians for treason. It's just fucked. I have zero patience for it. Uh, So when the new Obsessed record comes out, I'll buy it. But I'll never watch this again or willingly listen to the man in an interview again.
0: Yeah. Well, that
1: sounds like a good move. Yeah. So I don't recommend this documentary. Another one that I really wanted... (laughs) Yeah. Another one that I really wanted to see that I was super looking forward to that I w- was a disappointment for me was Jack Grissom's TSOL documentary. Oh, no way. It's called no that, more heroes. That's too bad. Yeah. It's a weird one. Jack made it, uh, about 90% of the film is him on stage telling kind of the story of TSOL, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Mike Roach and Ron Emery are both in it. Greg Kuhn, who played keys like on some of my favorite TSOL stuff is also in it, and they do get interviewed uh, along with a few other people, like their managers, Gary Tovar from Golden Voice. The best parts for me are the parts where they get into talking about recording the albums, especially especially Beneath the Shadows. And they he talks, tells some cool stories about suburbia as well, being oh, in suburbia. Cool. Um, but Beneath the Shadows for me is just an absolute masterpiece. Uh, so I love hearing them talk about that. But the stuff with Jack talking about all of the debauchery and criminal activity, which is a lot of what he talks about in his own personal uh, struggles with addiction and whatnot, for me, it just gets old fast, especially if you're all, you've already read his book, An American Demon, which is an, a great book, or if you've heard him get interviewed on podcasts and or on his. he's He has had, I don't know if he still does, but he's had a podcast about recovery and stuff like that he just talks a lot about this kind of stuff and that's not the story I wanted to hear in this documentary. Mm. You, know? you want to hear more about the music. Yeah. And my biggest gripe is there is hardly any footage of the band at all. Just the odd photo and almost zero music in the show. Maybe it was a licensing thing. Yeah. I don't know that. And because Jack made it, they just breeze past the Joe Wood version of the band. I don't even think they mentioned the name Joe Wood which I suppose is understandable, but for me, that's part of the story too. I love Jack. I love Jack Grissom. I I love TSOL, but to me, this just felt like, honestly, a bit of a slog for me. And Mm. just watching him talk without any footage to watch, other than him just being up on a stage talking, it just, like, there's a Beastie Boys documentary where they do that, and it's actually really good, where the two surviving members of the the Beastie Boys are filmed doing this live show that they that they did but there's so much great footage that it you know it intersects with them talking as well this doesn't have that yeah that's too bad so i don't know maybe other people would like it it's not terrible but it is not the definitive tsol documentary that i hoped it would be
0: oh man well don't end on such a a sad note on these two rock docks, Can you at least give me your favorite quote from
1: the movie Suburbia to cheer us up? Come on, man. Do it. Tom, wake up and smell the coffee, man. It's hopeless. <laughs> that one's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> How about what does
0: Flea say in the, uh, in the convenience store? Come on.
1: Happy Easter, asshole.
0: <laughs> there you go. See, now you're feeling better. All right, do you have time for some spiels for me? I do. Okay, I've got three. First is
1: Homework mm. on this album by the band Ills. Wow, you're holding a physical copy in your hand, so I must have done good. Yeah, oh yeah, it's good, man. You've got street cred. You told me to listen to this record.
0: Strong recommend from you. Ryan, you will like it, and I definitely do. I love it. It's great. Uh, the album is Curse. By the band Ills. They're a noise post-rock band from Portland. Great recommend. It says on the hype sticker here. For fans of Jesus Lizard. Unsane. Red Fang and Hot Snakes. Mm-hmm. That's not wrong. But I, I was kind of thinking like. It actually sounds. I don't know. There's some Mike Patton-esque. Faith No More vocals on here. Kind of child bite sounds on it. That I would have maybe went for. instead. Like I find that any modern noise rock band people always just say for fans of jesus lizard yeah well they don't sound like jesus lizard i mean i think that they're inspired by that type of music but but they sound unique um i was thinking over the weekend about this record and about how i actually i actually forgot to follow up on it last episode um so i wanted to make sure i did it this time and i'm like so who does sound like Jesus Lizard? And the number one band that came to my mind is that band Jacko Nuts. Mm-hmm. That that is a band that again very unique sound for them. But if I was to think of a band like if someone were to say, for fans of Jesus Lizard, I go to Jacko Nuts. Um, but fans of Jesus Lizard will like this Ills record. It's great. I did want to mention though one of the band members. This is a recommend back to you. Tom Glows, I think that's how you spell it, G-L-O-S-E. He's in this band called Black Elk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this band, Black Elk, but you should check them out, Brandt. I bet you you will like Black Elk as much as I like the ills. Okay. Um, needless to say, a solid recommend from you right up my alley. So full street cred to you on that. Unlike, of course, your stubborn refusal To give me any street cred for my recommend to you of the band, The Wildflowers. It's
1: common, just patience, man. Which I have
0: to wait a few years to hear from you on, apparently. Although it is the most Brandt band I've ever recommended to you. But I'll be patient. For my second spiel, Brandt, I don't know who's on first, but... Uh, Watts on bass? You got it. You got it. New out on Red Parakeet Records. Again, (laughs) I just mentioned this label, Red Parakeet a few episodes ago um, for the new Il Sogno del Marineo 7-inch, with which is that uh, Italian combo with Watt and the band. There's a new Mike Watt 7-inch out on Red Parakeet. This time it's with the Bobbly Men combo. That's with uh, Bob Lee, Tom Watson, and Pete Mazic. I think that's how you uh, pronounce that. It's a Holiday 7-inch out on Red Parakeet. The songs are Surfing with the Claws, I really hope that that's a take on Surfing with the Shaw by The Urinals. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh-huh. So that'll be cool. And then uh, the Vassal song. So a, a two-song, seven-inch. And now when you go to this Red Parakeet Records, uh, it, it kind of describes on their band camp, you know, this is an offshoot of this label, blah, blah, blah. We're going to put out music bo- that's like blah, blah, blah. It, it kind of describes the type of music. Um, and it mentions like shoegaze and stuff. However, the only thing that they've put out so far are three Mike Watts, seven inches. Um, so, so keep them coming. I also mentioned a new MSSV main stop valve LP a couple of weeks ago. It was the human reaction LP that I mentioned just out now, but I also need to mention this other single that they put out MSSV meets Nels Klein. This is out on striped light records. don't think I've mentioned it before I wanted to make sure that I did this one was gone in a flash initially when it was released but there's a new repress of it so you can go to striped light and pick up this MSSV meets Nels Klein single that's out now finally Brant I'm wearing my down by law shirt we've got Dave Smalley on the show so for my final spiel I got a spiel about the clash and so what I want to talk about is the clash mock 2 but but hang in there with me. Um, there's a tie-in to this episode with Dave um, as our guest, and there's at least three tie-ins to Dave Smalley in my Clash spiel, okay? So hang in there. A while back, I mentioned this book, We Are the Clash, mm-hmm. Reagan, Thatcher, and the Last Stand of the Band That Mattered, written by Mark Anderson and Ralph Habutsky. Mark, of course, from the Washington, D.C. area, a scene stir and also a co-author of the definitive book on the DC music scene dance of days mark also of course is an activist um, he started up positive force DC and we are family DC um, so very interesting read here's my first tie-in to Dave Smalley of course that you know the authors of this book are from DC um, but why am I mentioning this book again if you recall uh, this book is really focused on the Clash Mach 2. That is, after Mick Jones was ejected from the Clash and during the album Cut the Crap was recorded and released. This is a much maligned period of the Clash, as are these recordings. The band members don't even acknowledge this period of these recordings. These recordings are left off the box sets and collections, and fans almost universally just trash, cut the crap, uh, myself, myself included, for a period of time, I will admit, um, and don't get me wrong, there is reason to trash, cut the crap, um, it does have some atrocious production on it, and we don't need to go into that, just read Mark and Ralph's book, um, but Mark and Ralph's book does make the case that this era of the band, The Clash, needs to be reevaluated, and that it has been treated unfairly by history. They make the point that their live shows were amazing. The new songs were also great. And unfortunately, those who didn't see the band live and only really heard them on the Cut the Crap record really easily were able to disregard the Clash Mock 2 and get, kind of get on the bandwagon of hating the Clash Mock 2. Mm. What I didn't realize, though, uh, when I read this book relatively recently, is that there are two Cut the Crap Clash tribute comps that were put out kind of as an accompaniment to Mark and Ralph's book recutting the crap volumes 1 and 2 is what they're called put out on crooked beat records from Arlington Virginia so again another tie in with Dave Smalley on the show these comps are from 2017 and 2018 respectively i stumbled on volume 1 in a store a few months ago after i finished reading the book and I, I started looking into it and then contacted the uh, the label owner, uh, Bill, to get a copy of Volume Two. They actually kind of stopped mailing anything to Canada, but i I kind of convinced them to send me Volume two because I really, really want it. Volume one, recutting the crap on Crooked Beat Records has great bands on it, including a performance by Don Zientara. Mm. Here's another tie-in, right? Um who, of course, recorded, the classic Dag Nasty record, can I say, and many, many more. And that'll come up in the interview with Dave. And I also just finished the Inner Ear Don Zayantara book, which was great, by the way. Now here is Mark from the back of Recutting the Crap, Volume 1. Check out this quote, okay? The Clash's final years are the most contested period in the band's history. Some use the controversial final album, Cut the Crap, to dismiss the entirety of the post Mick Jones Clash as misbegotten. Sadly, Joe Strummer, before his untimely death, Jones, Nicky Heaton, and Paul Simonon have sometimes abetted this approach by excising both the record and the Clash Mach 2 from official releases. While perhaps understandable, this stance verges on travesty in both historical and artistic terms. Facing musical, personal, and political drift amidst breakthrough top 10 success, Clash co-founders Strummer, Semenin, and Bernard Rhodes embarked on a last-ditch effort to correct their course and get on with the job the band started out to do. If this desperate mission ultimately failed in key ways, it can still be seen as a noble quest that flew utterly in the face of of commercial common sense. Truth demands that the post-Jones clash be given its due. The quintet was an awesome force in live performances as dozens of bootleg tapes convincingly demonstrate. Many neo-clash songs were as good as any of the classics and carried a political power that was chillingly relevant to their moment. While Cut the Crap is a deeply flawed album, it is also an important one. Indeed, its extraordinary ambition if hardly fully realized, carries the true Clash spirit. In this sense, it is worthy to sit next to London Calling, Sandinista and all the rest. This record is based in that belief in the value and valor of this last stand of a band that mattered. As the musicians here engage with these songs, they help to focus much needed attention on this final chapter of the Clash story. However, at their best, they do much more. They realize the potential of these songs, make them live again, speaking powerfully to this scary moment for America and the world. And he's speaking, again, the book is very intertwined with the political environment when they were recording Cut the Crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very interesting read, and I think what Mark is saying here is just listen to these lyrics. And then here's Mark, okay? And this, this uh, volume one came out in 2017, so get this. Here's Mark. Right now... The message and meaning of The Clash is even more relevant and necessary than ever. Listen to these songs, take them into your heart, and then take their message to the streets, into the halls of power. That better world The Clash sang about remains ours to claim, and claim it we must. So, again, I, I was not a huge fan of Cut the Crap. I've since come to kind of hear through some of the, the production But after listening to these two comps, I've really, really um, come to appreciate it even more. That's volume one, Mark on the back. Volume two is a two LP set. It has more Clash Mach 2 songs on it. And then the second LP are like post Mach 2 uh, Strummer and Jones songs. Some songs that even turned up in big audio Dynamite. Some songs that turned up on a number of soundtracks that Joe contributed to, like Permanent Records, Sid and Nancy. Um, So folks really have to check out Recutting the Crap Volumes 1 and 2. These are three LPs that will help you revisit this era of the Clash with with new ears. Um, I'd encourage people to do that. Check out Mark's book. And there's also one more Clash tie-in. With
1: Dave Smalley on the show, and that'll come later in the episode. And that's it. Right on. So I'm reading the 33 and a third book on Living Colors. Times up right now. Oh yeah. I usually buy those if if it's an album I'm interested in, and it's a new one. It's a new book, like it just came out. And uh in the at the start of those, they have a section on coming soon. On yeah. 33 and a third. Do you know what what album they're doing? Like early next year. Cut the crap? Nope. Sandinista. (laughs) Oh, no way. Yeah. Cool. You know,
0: when I first started getting into the clash, Sandinista was a tough one for me,
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: I'm, but I'm fully in. And I think it was just, I was really young and I just wanted the, the all out rockers, you know? Plus Um, it's a
1: double, right? Or a triple. It's a triple. So, I mean, it's a slog for sure, but I, I'd love it. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into this cruise intrusion. History lesson, part one. So here's the deal, Ryan. I'll start by addressing the catalog number. Technically, 255 was earmarked for a CD single from Opal with three songs, all taken from SST-103, their Happy Nightmare Baby album. The tracks on the EP were planned to be Rocket Machine as kind of the A side. This was CD only as far as I can tell, but that was kind of the the purpose of the single, is the Rocket Machine CD single, along um, with Magic Power and Supernova. Three great songs for sure. And I'll just mention that Happy Nightmare Baby is now up on Spotify, which many people have pointed out to us. People keep telling us that these SST records are are showing up on Spotify. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about and complained about, like that hasn't been up there, like the Pell-Mell albums and yeah, yeah. and Bungo. When,
0: when we did the shows like years yeah. ago, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Divine, well, that's good. Yeah. A lot of it's showing up there. So that's good. Um, So, great news for our listeners. Doubtful that any of the artists will see a dime, not that there's much to be made by the criminals that own the streaming services anyways, but there you have it. Um, So, good excuse to go back to that Opal record for people, because it is great. As far as we can tell, this Opal release was planned, but never happened. Perhaps even a copy or two were pressed, like, really not sure, almost as, like, um, test pressings or, or promo copies. But a copy of it has never been sold on Discogs ever. Um, there is a picture of it on Discogs yeah. though. But yeah. I mean, like that's
0: that might be the test pressing.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's never been a copy sold. Our sources within the label that I've talked to don't think that it happened. Nobody's 100 percent certain. But Jeff and
0: Sur- Jeff and Soraya too, right? Yeah, they're like it. It didn't happen. Yeah,
1: we're going with that. We're going to say it didn't. Maybe someone listening to this will prove me wrong, prove us wrong. We'll see. Um, It would have been released in 1991, uh, by which point Kendra Smith was obviously long gone and Hope Sandoval had replaced her. They had changed their name to Mazzy Star. Their debut, She She Hangs Brightly, um, came out in 1990. So, you know, they were a totally different band. So who knows? Maybe that had something to do with the... uh, Yeah, yeah. Very little to promote at that point. Yeah, not that that would have ever stopped Greg Ginn from trying to (laughs) to cash in. Um, But... Also, I'll just add, rest in peace, David Roback, Will Glenn, and and Keith Mitchell of Opal. So, what are we doing with this cruise intrusion idea? Well, we've kind of teased it a little bit <laughs> lately, um, knowing that we have these kind of catalog numbers coming up in the next little while that have no release assigned to them.
0: There's next a- little while?
1: Yeah. So, what, well, like the next four years? That's right, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. So we're so what we're going to do when we get to these blank catalog numbers, is dip our toe into cruise records when we get to them, um, and maybe some other stuff. Maybe some new alliance or issues records, uh, releases. We'll just have to see how it goes. These will be overviews. Also, like we won't be doing deep dives on each album necessarily, like we do on the SST releases. It'll be more of like a. a like what we're doing here. Part one is going to be the Dave Smalley years, but maybe we will. I don't know. It's, uh, (laughs) we're, we're kind of playing this by ear.
0: Uh, Yeah. Brant will tell me during the episode.
1: Yeah. Well, we're kind of working this out as we go, right? It'll likely get refined a bit more, um, as we get a few of these under our belts, but that's kind of the general idea. So cruise records, uh, we have touched on Cruise here and there, uh, most notably on episode 214, where we had Ron Coleman on the show. Ron was hired by Greg Ginn to work marketing and sales at Cruz, right when they, when Greg was first starting it, and he ended up as label manager at Cruise. So that's a good one to go back to if, if you haven't heard it. Here's some stuff I found from an LA Times article dated January 31st, 1988, by Steve Hawkman and Jeff Spurrier. Just as SST Records is gearing up to celebrate its 10th anniversary, that's something we haven't really thought about, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The company's co-founder, Greg Ginn, is launching a new label, Cruise Records. Cruise will, will release Ginn's own projects once a broken finger heals enough to let him play guitar again, as well as records by a few other acts. Cruz's first release will come this week with a debut album by All, a group including former members of the now-defunct Descendants. Check this out, Ryan. This is in the LA Times. Another debut by the band Crash Bang Crunch Pop will follow in March. What? Yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. Here's Greg. I felt that sometimes being involved with SST caused some conflicts with my own music, and I'd rather just deal with SST as a non-musician he said, stressing that he will remain a partner in SST with his ex-Black Flag mate, Chuck Tikowski. Cruise, though, will be completely separate from SST. What I wanted to do with Cruise is experiment, Gin said. Try some different things with a very small company. Different things in terms of ways to reach people with music. And where did the label name come from? I just saw some graffiti, and I liked the way it looked. (laughs) So, a few interesting things here. The Cruise label was founded sometime in 1987. This article is from January 88. And that first release, Cruise 001, is Alroy says, which came out in March 88. So, we'll touch on that, obviously, once we, we get into the history lesson. Interesting, though, to hear this article mention that Crash Bang Crunch Pop was possibly, well, not possibly, they were slated to, to have a release coming out on Cruise. So when Ron Reyes quit Black Flag and moved to Vancouver, he started playing in a fairly infamous Canadian band called Eye Brain Eater, arriving just in time to play on the Hyde Park Schoolgirl single in 1981. The lineup was mainstay Jim Cummins on vocals, Ron on guitar, and Steve LaViolette on keyboards. The first lineup of Eye Brain Eater, by the way, bit of uh, Canadian punk supergroup, Jim Cummins, Dave Gregg of DOA, Buck Cherry of the Modernettes, Art Bergman of Young Canadians, and Ian Tiles of Pointed Sticks. And they were just called Brain Eaters at that point. Uh, You can check out iBrainEater on the awesome Terminal City Ricochet original soundtrack. They have a great song on there. Anyways, Ron Reyes and Steve LaViolette leave uh, iBrainEater and form a new band that a bunch, a series of bands that take their names from Iggy-related projects. One is called Raw Power, another one's called Kill City. As far as I understand it, these bands were formed in L.A., not Vancouver. So Ron flew down to L.A. in June of 83 for the Black Flag Everything Went Black show at the Santa Monica Civic Center, and Steve came with them. And it was decided at that time, that they were going to stay there or move there and get serious about their bands. Supposedly, Duff McKagan played in a band called Funhouse with them. Uh, Steve wasn't feeling L.A., moved back to Vancouver. Unfortunately, he passed away in a car crash in January of 86. The history of the band Ron Form Next is sketchy. All of this is sketchy information. I had to really cobble this together, so I, I might be getting some of this wrong. I had to really dig and piece everything together so far, um, so, so we'll see. But eventually, when Ron's still in L.A., he he writes a bunch of songs while living in his van, and he called his band Crash, Bang, Crunch, Pop. Not sure about the lineup of, of that band, but there is a live recording from Madam Wong's in 1988. Uh, at least that's what the the post on YouTube says. I thought Madam Wong's burned Down in 85, but I could be wrong. Someone will correct me on that, I'm sure. Anyways, they were opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers at this this show. Crash Bang, Crunch Pop were. Um, it's a pretty great recording, and the songs are really good. It's really rockin', almost glammy. Uh, there's a song on there called I Want What You Got, or something like that, that's just so good. Um... Ron on vocals, a guy named Pierre Gonzalez on drums, Willie Banta on bass, who actually posted the concert. Looks like he later played in a garage punk band called Spooky Pie. Uh, Kevin Rose on lead guitar, possibly the same Kevin Rose who was in the short-lived early 90s chai pig band, The Wongs. Anyways, Crash Band Crunch Pop recorded an album at Spinhead called It's So Big that was supposed to come out on Cruise. Uh, but the band ended up splitting up, and it never came out. Wow. Yeah, That uh,
0: that record needs to come out.
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's ever been bootlegged or anything. I also read that this band, this Boise band, The Dirt Fishermen, were supposed to have a release on Cruise. Um, they self-released an album in 1989, one in 1990, and a final one in 1993 called Vina Cava, uh, engineered by Jack and Dino, that came out on CZ. Interesting. There is some CZ uh, Cruise tie ins, you know, and with Skinyard and stuff. So maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows? Um, they're also on the four on the floor, seven inch on CZ, which is great. I'm sure we've talked about that before. You can hear all of their stuff on Bandcamp. It's cool, early 90s grungy indie rock. Definitely a better fit for C- CZ than Cruise would have mm. been, I think. You know, if it's even true that they were possibly going to have something on Cruise. Cruise ended up more or less winding down by the mid 90s after after releasing 40 records or so uh eps and singles as well uh the three main bands for the first couple of years of the label were all big drill car and chemical people yeah ron coleman kind of talked about that in the interview they eventually released several skin yard records a number of greg gin solo albums the tony all record we've mentioned a few times a jack and dino solo album A few from Scott Reynolds' post-all band Goodbye Harry. Uh, Awesome. Two from Rig, which was fronted by Craig Ibarra, who um, worked in the SST art department circa 87 and 96. But that's basically an overview of Cruise. So let's do a deep dive on Dave Smalley and all.
0: Okay, so I've got a bit of a history lesson now. Dave and yourself talk about a fair amount of this, so I'm just going to keep it somewhat high-level. And uh, I found it really hard to focus because I'm just so excited. Uh, I'll I'll mention this as I talk about it. Um, So as most of our listeners will likely know, after the Descendants album All, they formed the band All, the remaining members, uh, Stefan, Carl, and Bill. And All, again, the concept means to achieve the utmost, a concept formulated by drummer Bill Stevenson and friend Pat McHouston. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, But essentially, you know, Milo went to college again, deciding that after their Fine All tour, it was time for Milo to pursue his career in biochemistry. So drummer Bill Stevenson, bassist Carl Alvarez, and guitarist Stefan Edgerton were left still wanting to pursue All. And they did. Enter Dave Smalley. And that's really the band All. Dave was the former singer of the hardcore band DYS from Boston. If you haven't heard DYS, I would recommend you check out this comp on Tang Records, Fire and Ice, Wolf Pack. This is a CD from 1991. Definitely check that out. Boston hardcore. The early stuff was more straight edge. Uh, some of it kind of got a little bit more metal. But I mean, if you got into the 90s, Revelation, those types of labels, you can trace their roots to a lot of DYS records, I would say. After DYS, Dave joined Dag Nasty for one of the best albums of all time, Can I Say. Quick detour, though, for me personally, about uh, Dag Nasty and the record Can I Say. I had heard about Down By Law way before I had heard about Dag Nasty. I would have been, I don't know, 13, 14, when I picked up the Down By Law Punk Rock Academy Fight Song CD, and uh, was reading about it in the advertisements. And it would say, you know, features the singer of All and Dag Nasty. And I and was like, oh, I know All, but what, what the heck is Dag Nasty, you know? So I I got one of my Discord catalogs. Um, and I checked it out. And I'm like, oh, I can totally just order this. So I ordered the Can I Say and Wig Out a Dinko's comp on CD from Discord after really being turned on to Dag Nasty by um, my entry point was Down By Law. One of the most important albums of all time for me, though, Can I Say? Some of the things that you you were going to hear Dave talk about in the interview, thinking for yourself, courage, um, looking after each other, all of that as an early teenager and getting the, the Can I Say record totally resonated for me. Uh, those lyrics are incredibly important to me to this day. Um, kind of helped me be okay with me thinking for myself, just like Joe Strummer taught me through playing in, uh, bands like Dag Nasty and DYS. Dave struck up a friendship with Bill Stevenson. Now this is another, uh, point I have to make too. Don't forget that Dave Smalley, when he got recruited by all, he moved, uh, to LA, you know, hit Alfredo's and then started working with the band. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Henry Rollins also moved from D.C. to join the SST crew, right. and don't and don't forget that Doug Carrion from the Descendants joined Dag Nasty, so it's all connected. Mm-hmm. It's all connected, right? So Dave joins the remaining members of the Descendants to form All. He flies in, hits Alfredo's, gets working with the band and records some of the best records of all time again you know dave is on a ton of amazing records cruise 001 all roy says and cruise 004 all Roy for prez we'll go into those in more detail in history lesson part two and the band all are such road hogs they do like way over 100 shows for 88 89 then dave decided to leave the band he was just burnt right Mm -hmm. um he formed Down by Law with Ed Ehrlich and Dave Nez from The Chemical People, like label mates on Cruise Records, as you mentioned. and they played a ton of shows with Chemical people as well. Down by Law has put out at least thirteen records or EPs. Um, they're all great. The self-titled one on epitaph features Dave and Ed as the rhythm section. It's funny, Dave mentions in the in the interview, the the record blue their second album from 1992 interesting that dave mentions how you know it didn't really grab people as much as the first one i've thought about that over the years because i've read about that a number of times and i've heard people say that too i I understand what dave is saying hasn't really been that way for me i liked once i got punk rock academy fight song i went back and then i've just loved everything right um but the record blue i kind of wonder if people it didn't really grab people because it came out so soon after the self-titled record and also the self-titled record has kind of some of the production some of the vocals have kind of bad religion isms I'll, i'll put it that way and the blue record didn't have as much and i i kind of view the blue record as really dave and down by law dave smalley like kind of getting their own down by law vibe Punk Rock Academy fight song, also on Epitaph, came out in 1994. Quick story about that: uh, the concert where I got this shirt is um, it was at this All Ages Club that my band used to rehearse at and used to hang out there when the bands were coming and going. And uh, if one of the bands were showing up, you'd help them load their gear in yeah. to to the venue, right? Help them down the stairs. Um, and I remember Dave Smalley rolling out of the van. And we were all just kind of meeting everyone. And he's like, hi, I'm Angry Dave. <laughs> and we're like, whoa, okay. Um, and I was probably 14 or something like that. All-Ages um, show. Yeah, it totally was an All-Ages show. Nice yeah. Dag Nasty reference. Thank you. Um, all scratched up. Another great Down by Law record, 96. My favorite Down by Law record of all time still to this day. Last of the Sharpshooters from 1997. Awesome. Uh, Fly the Flag in 99 windward tides and wayward sails in 2003 champions at heart There was a big big gap from that one and then champions and heart um in 2012 revolution time 2013 all in dave mentions that record in the interview from 2018 quick hits live in the studio was a great cd people should check that one out that's out on kung fu from 2019 the Redoubt EP from 2019. And then their most recent record, Lonely Town on Kung Fu from 2021. All down by Law stuff is great. Uh, Dave's lyrics always, always um, are very meaningful and resonate for me. Um, I mentioned DAG Nasty. We should also mention that Dave was on two other DAG Nasty records, in addition to Can I Say? Um, kind of reunion records, maybe um The Four on the Floor record from 1992 on Epitaph, and then on Revelation Records in 2002 is the Minority of One record. Both of those are great, but I really like the Minority of One um, better than Four on the Floor personally. Should also mention that Dave was the guest vocalist on this Rule of Thumb single. Right. Yeah, I forgot about if, that. Yeah. yeah, if you remember that, um these are guys that went on to form. Uh, Serpico. After they changed their name from the band Sleeper, right? Yeah, remember they had to—they got to sell their name, and then they changed their name into Serpico. But that single, rule of thumb, guest vocals, Dave Smalley, education, and don't look down. Check that out. It's awesome. Um, there's also the Sharpshooters band and the record from 2000, Viva Los Guerrillas, with Keith Davies, who would also go on to play bass in Down By Law and the Fly the Flag and Windward Sales records. We've also mentioned, uh, and you mentioned in the interview, two other bands uh, recently that Dave has been the vocalist in. There's the Don't Sleep band. Um, They have their self-titled EP from 2017 on Unity Worldwide Records and the Bring the Light single in 2018. Their Turn the Tide record from 2020, and then most recently their excellent Sea Change record from 2023. Great modern melodic hardcore from dave smalley and the band on that and then finally there's dave smalley and the bandoleros join the outsiders is the record from 2018 and then ignited from 2020 both on little rocket records and i i remember dave mentioning in the interview about how that that tour with the bandoleros got sidelined from the pandemic yeah. and and man i was going to go to that show yeah i had them booked yeah oh dude um i also want to mention uh this record that dave put out in 2015 called punk rock days it's an acoustic cd um you can i ordered it from him and he signed it to me which is awesome um he doesn't know who the hell i am but i had to order that cd and get it signed to me um i've got all my down by law and dave smalley stuff i got the shirt i got my tickets the down by law shows i got my signed cd i'm just so pumped about this episode before we get into history lesson part two i've got a couple of spiels out of this uh triple x book after the interview and dave mentions mike Gitter and triple x in the interview so wait for that and then i'll follow up with a spiel on that Um, but just to kind of summarize what we were talking about and to get us closer to the interview here's a spiel out of the book we can be the new wind by alexandros enesiatis here's alexandros all's formation was a result of the descendants vocalist milo ackerman's decision to continue on with his studies so the remaining members guitarist Stefan edgerton bassist carl alvarez and drummer bill stevenson went on to create a new band named after the descendants last lp Dagnasty and DYS vocalist Dave Smalley took Milo's place and he sung on All's first two records, Allroy Says and Allroy for Prez, both issued under the umbrella of Cruise Records, a subsidiary of SST. Crazy, enormous, clever, and pushing the limits of technical proficiency, Allroy Says and Allroy for Prez kept up the Descendants formula, but also went on incorporating jazz rhythms, discordant melodies, but all in a catchy manner. We are talking about five star stuff here. And if you are
1: still not persuaded, just listen to Hooage and wrong again.-hmm. Those are interesting ones to mention. Great song. great songs but not the ones most people would mention.
0: I know right? Yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting. Alexandros has got some weird picks in that book. I'm, I'm like I read this book when it you know shortly after it came out. I, I go back to it like once every couple of weeks to yeah. dig in here and find some weird stuff. Anyways, I'm I'm going to repeat myself and just say, so thrilled to have Dave on and to talk about Cruise and these amazing records by All. It, it was almost like I didn't need to listen to them for the show. I know, I kno- <laughs> I know them so well. I know, I know these records yeah. so well,
1: um, but just awesome. But it was great to listen to them, too. Totally. I have a little thing I did up about the tour history, Ryan. So just to put the kind of the turnaround into perspective, because this kind of stuff really interests me from the Descendants to All, and just to show how much these guys were going for it. The final Descendant show was at Fender's ballroom with MIA and social unrest on July 24th, 1987. Liveage came out that November, November 4th, 1987, to be exact. They recorded All Roy Says that same month in 87 and released it in March of 88. So, uh, and the just perfect single around the same time. So, The Descendants All record was recorded in March of 87. So they had this recorded and released within a year (laughs) with a new singer. It's crazy. Um, You'll hear a little talk about their first show in the interview, um, but that was on February 27th, 1988. The first part of their U.S. tour started in Atlanta, Georgia, on March 26th, 88, at the Metroplex with the Doughboys um, and Athens band Porn Orchard.
0: Wow! Yeah. What a bill! What yeah. a
1: bill! Most of the March-April dates were with Doughboys, and uh, one or one or two locals kind of packaged on, you know, packaged up with them or whatever. Rumor has it they possibly recorded a show at City Gardens on this tour. Maybe someone out there knows something about that. I have a quite a few um, all bootlegs, but I've never seen one with Dave on vocals from City Gardens. Also, March of '88. They recorded six more tracks for what would become the All Roy for Prez EP, which we'll talk more about when we we get to that. In May of 88, they hook up with chemical people for another leg, mainly around Texas and Florida, calling it the Monsters of Food Tour. In August, they hook up with the Doughboys again and... Um, that's when they mix the Alroy for Prez EP and they release it in late August, early September, supposedly to coincide with the 1988 presidential election between Bush senior and Michael Dukakis, uh, which was in November of that year. You'll hear Dave talk about that a little bit. They tour like crazy for the rest of 88, mainly with chemical people right up until December 22nd, 1988. Not sure when exactly Dave left and Scott Reynolds joined, Some of those um, November-December shows were, I think, with Scott and not Dave. But I'm not entirely certain. All All Rise Revenge was recorded in December and January of 89. And there's hardly a break in touring at any point in 1988. It's just insane. They were back in Los Angeles in November, so I'm guessing that's when Dave left and Scott joined. Um, Those November, December 88 shows were all in the area. San Francisco, San Jose, etc. So, either way, the schedule is insane. They toured like mad all through 89. All Roy's Revenge came out sometime around April of 89. But that's a story for another occasion. Part 2 of the Cruise Intrusion. Also, I'll just add, if you want to more fully flesh out Dave's story, there's a couple of great episodes of the End on End podcast. They did one on uh, Dag's Can I Say that goes into a, a lot more detail on his time with Dag than we do in our interview. And then Brian's co-host, Jeff, from End On End, has a special episode on Boston Hardcore that he put out a few years back that has interviews with Dave. Jonathan Anastas, Dave's partner in DIYS, and Mike Gitter. Uh, and it's really great. I'd recommend both. Between those and our interview, dare I say, you get a pretty decent overview of, of Dave Smalley up until um, the time that he leaves all. There's some other podcasts Dave's been on that I, I haven't really checked out that hopefully maybe go more into the down by law era with Dave. Should we throw it to Dave Smalley? Oh yeah. All right. We're joined on the podcast today by Dave Smalley. Dave, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Great to be here. All right. So I want to learn a little bit more about you and your upbringing. I have it that you grew up in Oil City, Kern County, California. Is that right? That is absolutely not right. Not right. Okay.
2: That is absolutely, yeah. I was born in California, but uh, I don't even know where Kern County is. Um, (laughs) I've actually heard that before, and I'm not sure where that came from. Hmm. Um, But no, I was basically, I mean, even though I have, you know, my my dad's from California and my mom was from Florida, but moved to California young, and um, and, and that's where she and my dad were married, and that's where I was born. But uh, but I basically grew up on the East Coast um, in in Arlington, Virginia, basically DC. Hmm. So that's that's why it, my life is a really strange, and I've been very fortunate to have lived in some great places. But so some people think I'm from Boston because they know me from you know from DYS. Right. Some people think I'm from D.C., which is the closest to correct because they know me through Dagnasty. Um, and then, of course, some people uh, know me through all um, and, and say, how's California doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I miss it. <laughs> you know, so it's it's like there's there's uh, there's been a lot of opportunities for me in life, which has been a real blessing. But uh,
1: at the same time, no, no, no Kern County. OK. Did you start playing guitar at an early age or did that come way later?
2: You know, that came later. I played piano, and I just, uh, before we started off this interview, I, I showed you this new 100-year-old piano that I got in, um, uh, you, you know, I, I, like I was telling you, it'll either be the biggest, greatest experiment of my life because I've got to strip the whole thing, get it tuned, get a couple stuck keys fixed, and and I'm not really an expert on piano repair. However, I do love playing, you know, and I just do little, like, you know, and I play like that sort of like, you know, real basic, you know, um, boogie woogie type stuff. And, um, but I enjoy it. And I, I find the piano to be a really unique instrument, you know, the the pedal, the ability to have that sustain, you know, when you want it in and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I played piano as a young kid. And then i dropped that played piano i'm sorry played trumpet in um in junior high it was really bad i think and then um all along in those years though i was singing so i didn't really start playing guitar till almost in dys and in, in you know 1981 or whenever
1: that was so did not start playing guitar till till much later okay so when we say singing what what do you mean like were you singing in bands
2: no, I mean, not originally,
1: so I sang in uh, church choirs
2: mm-hmm. um growing up, and um that was great for me as a child because um you you know you're 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 forced quickly to learn to read music and to um be able to harmonize right so so when you're in uh, when you hear a beautiful church choir um that's the the you know the combination of soprano alto. Tenor, bass, you know, singers going together, and hopefully creating this joyful harmony. And um, so, obviously, you're not going to have a lot of bass singers in a children's choir, but uh, um, we we did it did sound pretty decent, as if memory serves. And um, uh, so that was like you know elementary school stuff. And I also sang in um, elementary school plays, and we had a great teacher named Mrs. Zolby, who I love dearly to this day. And, uh, she had a huge impact on me. Um, she, she did these, you know, productions, um, different, you know, school plays and, you know, uh, holiday performances and things like that. And so I would sing and she, she kind of, you know, just quote unquote discovered me or whatever the word is. And she was like, okay, this song I want you to sing. And one of my favorite songs I still remember singing, um, and not even know if you could do it anymore because, you know, we've we've evolved as a society to different levels of what's okay and things in in public arenas. But I remember singing uh, Oh Holy Night, which is a beautiful uh, song. It's probably one of the most beautiful, uh, you know, Christmas songs there is in my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember singing that in a school production in fifth grade or sixth grade. And, you know, it's just a, I remember that connection with the audience. That was my first time that I was like, oh, we have a connection, the audience and I, right now. So that was that was pretty cool at a young age to get that. And then I started doing plays uh, that were external, like in Arlington County. Had a pretty big production of of um, Oliver, the, the musical. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I auditioned because Mrs. Zolby told me to, and and I I went and auditioned. I'd never been in a play besides little school things or whatever. And I was just very very fortunate. I got cast as as Oliver. And that was interesting, too, because I remember getting really frustrated during the callbacks, right? And and uh, there was something I was having trouble with. Maybe it was – I don't even remember what it was. But I was getting frustrated and, you know, typical fifth or sixth grader getting, you know, kind of frustrated. And, and the, the director took me aside and she said, I am considering you for the role of Oliver but you need to pull it together <laughs> okay you know it's a great sobering moment as a little kid to hear like it's your your destiny is in your hands you know yeah, and yeah. and and so i did I, I i you know took a deep breath you know uh pushed the bat out and breathed in some good and um and was lucky to to get that that production um raw so yeah so i was doing that and then um did more musicals all throughout uh, junior and regular high school, junior high, but Bye Bye Birdie. Then I was actually Bye Bye Birdie again in high school. So junior high, I was in Bye Bye Birdie as, um, what was the kid's name? The the, the, the younger McAfee, the, the little boy. Um, and then I was Mr. McAfee, the dad, when I was in high school. So, you know, just these weird coincidences. And then uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, My Fair Lady. Um, and it was really funny, too. Because I always got, you know, fortunately, you know, again, very lucky guy. But I got leads in the musicals. But to show you, you know, where my talents didn't lie, when there would be dramas. So that, so in high school, we did fall would be a drama. <laughs> right. And then, you know, the musicals would be in the spring, right? Yeah. So fall, I'd be like third man in, in crowd, you know, tree, um, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or maybe even like, hey, we don't really need you on this one. Can you help with the sets or whatever? <laughs> I'd be like, "Okie dokie, got it," you know. And then, you know, then the then the the leads would come around when I
1: was trying to get into the musical. So that was just a funny schism. Singing, yes; acting, no. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's important to have those people in your life, right? Especially at that age, that are telling you, you know, recognize your talent and encouraging you for sure. So, um, when did you graduate high school? I guess I'm I'm what I'm asking is like was was DC hardcore a thing yet? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, at that time, absolutely, yeah. So, so I was in in um,
2: sort of I wasn't I was in Arlington, which a lot of people think of Discord House, of course, as being in Arlington, which it is. But I was in sort of more of a rural part of Arlington, and I was not. Uh, I think all those early bands, I saw almost all of them. You know, like um, certainly Government Issue, Minor Threat marginal man um, uh, SOA once um, uh, didn't I don't think I saw the Teen Idols unfortunately um, but I love that first single boy played that thing till the grooves wore out um, and then um, you know uh, so so those that scene I was part of I would go to the shows as a, this little sort of uh, you know newbie mm-hmm. and and I, I was probably like a year or two younger than some of the 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 people that we think of now, like Ian and Henry and John Stabb and people like that 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 were absolute, you know role models for me and um musically. so so I would go to those shows and they would see me and sometimes I get a head nod from one of them or you know, and and, and but I didn't actually hang out with them too much. Um, and and then I would just kind of scoot, you know, scuttle off after the show and go back to my to my little, uh, suburban home to, to quote the descendants, you know, and, and then, um, so that was my kind of DC connection, but yeah, it was definitely an insanely great scene. And then, but 1981,
1: I moved up to Boston and, uh,
2: and, and, uh, you know, started at Boston
1: college. So. Right. And this was like, you had an interest in political science. Is that, is that, the idea. Behind no, the no,
2: not then. I, 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 well, I always did because I think it's important to be sort of, um, connected to your world. And obviously I think in punk, we're trying to make our world a little bit better place. I think that's one of the things that distinguishes punk from other genres. Yep.
1: Um,
2: I would say that you could argue that almost with every genre is trying to do their own bit, you know, certainly, um, you know, you got a Zappa poster and a Rolling Stones and a, and a Neil. Yeah. I mean, those cats are all, you know, in their own way. Part of you know, um, part of movements that are intended to either personally or you know, soci- societally, socially, uh, you know, make things better a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yep. so, um, and you know, I just showed you my music room with pictures of Hendrix and uh, Jimmy Page and and Pete Townsend and all the rest, and and uh, Bob Marley. You know, mm-hmm. so, so those music can change the world in any genre, certainly. Um, but I think. It is one of the the founding ethoses of um of hardcore and punk that you know that we would make this music that was improving first and foremost it's sort of concentric circles in my mind first and foremost it was designed to improve yourself and that was always nearest and dearest to me was like giving you strength giving you courage um letting you know that if you're if you're upset about something either in your personal life or or, or family or in the, your job or even in the world that it's okay to feel that way and that you know together you can find courage from each other right like that's that's one of the greatest messages of of punk and hardcore for me was that sense of solidarity and knowing that you weren't alone and and strength and um you know uh everything from you know overt you know, scuffles with people, um, you know, that, that tried to, you know, I mean, a lot of us in the early days would get in scuffles. So I just call it that. But, you know, they, that's a nice word for sometimes it wasn't that nice. Um, you know, and some ninety nine percent of the time those were initiated by others, um, particularly in those days, um, you know, jocks who who just didn't like punks. Um, mm-hmm. You got to remember 1981, 82, 1980, whenever, like when we were all doing that and it was very still unusual to see somebody with bleached spiky hair or, or a shaved head or or a mohawk or you know looking like the guy on the cover of the discharge album or whatever you know what I mean like that stuff was was hugely rare and in and, and each little pocket of the country sure if you're in New York City or or maybe you know la but even in those places I mean la was famous for just brawls you know and um so you know it was tough to be a punk rock kid in those days. And I'm not singing a sad song. I'm so happy I did it. You know, I'm, I'm like super stoked that I was able to be coming of age in those days and those times and those
1: places. But, uh, it was a, it was an adventure. Let's just say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when you, you moved to Boston to, to go to college, how did you meet Jonathan and how did, how did you end up forming DYS?
2: So uh the famous line that that I use and Jonathan kinda chides me a little bit, but he agrees, you know, with with a with a wry grin on his face. But but I always say DYS kinda started on a on a wish, a prayer, and half of a fib, you know, and and like I put up a little notice, my first I mean, I'd been there for like, I don't know, very little time. a, a week maybe. Yeah. And I went in and went into Newberry Comics, which at that time was only one store. Um they you know, as as they grew, multiple stores opened for Newberry Comics, which is great because they're a truly great store. But um mm-hmm. um but that time there was just one and they had like pins and patches and stuff in the front and then all the singles and vinyl and uh, back then that's all there was. And then and then um some posters and then oh by the way in the back the comic book. So for me, as a punk rock comic book nerd, like that place was Nirvana. Yeah. Like Newberry Comics was the great Oh my God, they got they got punk records and like the newest issue of the Falcon or whatever, you know, like or whoever the, you know, whatever your favorite titles were. Like, holy cow, this is the greatest place ever. You know? So so I went in there and um and and put up a little sign, a little post, a little um like like card uh on the bulletin board with cork. I mean, stuff that doesn't even exist now in places, you know, because everything's digital. Yeah. But back then, You wrote down your thing you know and i just put singer you know with full equipment looking to start a band you know drummer ready to go well i didn't really have full equipment i had a kind of a really crappy microphone and and then i you know my drummer was just a friend from from college that i just met and so i was stretching it shall we say and um but i was trying to get you know some nibbles Mm -hmm. and uh jonathan replied Pretty quickly, and uh, said, "Hey, yeah, I got a guitar player friend who's really into it." And it turns out that guy wasn't really into it. He was more into doing like uh, metal and you know, and and rock stuff, and really kind of didn't like punk. And so, so that guy, he was a great guitarist actually, but he quickly was like, you know, the hell with you guys, I'm out, you know. And and but Jonathan and I, from all of that, a really lifelong friendship and musical partnership. So, right on. um, we started out on a wish and a prayer and, <laughs> um, together we, we built, uh, we built the, the DYS juggernaut. <laughs>
1: all right. Well, I could ask you a million questions about DYS, but I'm, I'm going to try and get us to all here. So the story goes that you roadied for Dag Nasty when Sean was still in the band. Is that true? That is correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And when you ended up joining Dag Nasty, did you... Did you know that you were going to be going to grad school or how did that whole thing play out?
2: No. So, so I'd just been the roadie and loved the band, you know, and, um, we'd been having a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, and then, and then they, I, at during, actually it might've even been before I started as a roadie, I'd applied to a couple things for grad school and I'd kind of applied and essentially forgotten really. And, um, and, you know, and then, uh, kind of just was, you know, working, you know, really low, low paying job. And, and, um, and then, uh, trying to figure out, you know, like twisted sister says, what do you want to do with your life? You know? And, um, and then, um, kind of started singing for, for Dag and we made this, this sort of absolutely, you know, magical album, which was, which was, you know, um, something that I often talk about, which is, I, I didn't know I don't think any of us knew how special that record was gonna be until once we were in the studio and we started recording it, everybody felt it. It was just incredible. It was you could you could taste it, you could sense it, you could see it in the air. Something about that particular those four guys, us four guys at that particular moment in that particular time with Don Ziantera and Ian Mackay producing and you know, just like it was it was there was magic in it, you know, and and it was really kind of like uh really cool. Um, uh, you know, I'd had some some awesome memories of being in the studio with DYS, of course, and but different kind of feelings like that was a hardcore band that was like you know the whole time was supercharged and angry, and you know, and and that's great too, right? But but like Dag Nasty was like this musical, you know deliciousness I don't know like like something karmic about it you know so we made this record but all of a sudden right you know right then I got these these notices saying you know hey you want to come to NYU come on to NYU and then I I uh I said uh, I told the guys and of course we we're all young and stupid and we got in a bunch of you know like you know well f you man well f you you know like you know <laughs> just just sort of like uh you know we we're so stupid like it was only New York right Grant. i mean yeah. i could have gone to new york <laughs> you could have done and come both. down every every weekend yeah. i could have done that yeah so but we didn't think ahead like that and so we're just like you know and and so it it was really stupid and juvenile of how we all reacted um but we did and um and then i ended up getting a chance to uh to go to israel um mm. which was which was you know another you know super like holy shit moment mm-hmm. you know Um, so
1: yeah. Well, I mean, now so many bands and I'm sure some of the bands that you're in right now have members that live all across the country. Right. And, and, you know, artists have figured out how to do that, but back then nobody was doing it like that. In fact, you probably, back then you had to all live in the same house, never mind the same city. Right.
2: Yeah, we did. We had a, we had the Dag house, you know, and then when I was in DYS, we, you know, Jonathan and I lived together, um, in Boston, you know, um, actually in, let's see, we lived together in two different apartments and then, you know, and then I moved in with my girlfriend and all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of, uh, stuff like that. In those
1: days, Israel, Hey, that must've been a trip for
2: you. It was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I could talk to you for an hour about Israel and absolutely loved it. Um, wouldn't change, wouldn't you know? It's funny because you wonder sometimes. Well, what if I what if I hadn't quit Dag Nasty, right? And right. and you do wonder that. Or sometimes I say, what if I hadn't quit all, right? Like you you think about those things. But then you realize that life isn't linear like that. Mm-hmm. And so everything, you know, what if you hadn't quit that job? What if you had hadn't broken up with that girl slash boy, you know, or whatever, you know? And like whatever it is in life, what if you'd not gone to that party where you you know uh were miserable or whatever you know i don't know and then that but maybe that party that was miserable and you were sitting in the corner wishing you were not there maybe that's what led you to write your best lyric you know so so there's all these things where where life interchanges and takes you on journeys and you never know really what those roads are going to be right and um you know to quote the Hobbit, right the road goes ever on and on down from the door where it began now far away yeah and so, so you do this right you do that like and and then and then you're but you don't know where the road is going to go and and that's actually a cool thing about life so um, so yeah, the, yeah. But, but we had some great times
1: yeah I know the, the later lineup with Peter on vocals played with uh, the Descendants a lot did did Dag play with the Descendants when you were in the band?
2: We did, yeah, yeah, we did. Um we played um I'm trying to remember if we played when I was still roadieing. I think we did, but we definitely did a tour together with the Descendants. And I'd met Billy um when when he was in Black Flag and DYS played with Black Flag back in the day. And um and and uh Billy and I had hung out a little bit, had gotten to like each other quite a bit. And um I was we did these these i don't even remember you know it wasn't a very long tour it was like a week or something you know and um we played you know four or five shows or something together it's a mini mini type thing i think mm-hmm. maybe a few more i can't remember exactly now but but we did some shows and and you know bill and i just would talk and kind of hang out a little bit and of course they were um a great band obviously and um and so and i think they Enjoyed having us on as well because they could sense that spark that insane spark that we had the four of those four of us had that spark whatever it is we had it and they could sense that I think and um, and and so there'd be you know some some nice discussions and um, mutual fandom I think a little bit and then um, then we uh, parted ways and uh, but yeah so so Billy and i had known each other so met when he was in Black Flag and I was in D.Y.S. Mm. Met again when, when, when Descendants and Dagnastic played together and then uh when I went over to Israel is when he actually called me and and said, you know actually <laughs> it's funny, Mike Gitter, who did a fanzine yep. called yep. Triple X, uh, which was a legendary Boston fanzine and Mike's a you know, lifelong friend of mine and, and a great great dude. And um super you know, he's he's been in the music industry for for his whole career basically, and has um you know signed a number of great artists. You know, I worked with, with Jawbox and some others, um, just you know, super, you know, talented person and um and a good person. And um anyway, he uh he called me and asked me if I'd heard the new DAG record, and I said, No, I hadn't heard it, so he sent it to me. And keep in mind this is like, you know, had to send stuff, right? Like I had to get the cassette sent to me. Um which i got and i remember listening to it and i cried Mm -hmm. in my little tiny little apartment in jerusalem israel uh, about you know where i could go up to my roof and look down and see the the dome of the rock and the wailing wall it was Mm -hmm. just incredible experience but i remember in that little apartment listening and very late at night and night's always a time when people cry right like for whatever reason night brings out tears and um And so i remember crying listening to Wig Out, to wig out because i was like this should have been me you know could have been me should have been me you know and and a couple of those songs we'd been working on Mm -hmm. before i before i left and so so hearing it i was like oh you know and and it's not not a diss on anything they did just more like i wished i'd done it you know and so um so then right after that mike mike said hey you know bill stevenson wants me to give him your number i'm like yeah of course so billy called me and we we talked for first time at least an hour called me again you know like a few days later we talked again for an hour and that's like long distance call rates and everything and um yeah it was it was those calls were very very special and important and um you know and i i knew you know i was like this is my guy you know um i I loved him as a person and as a um visionary songwriter you know i loved Mm -hmm. him right from the get-go
1: yeah so when you when you accepted Bill's offer, do you think you knew what you were you you know what you were in for with, with the quest for all and like the touring schedule?
2: <laughs> you no, know, probably not, but that's okay. Again, you never know in life, right? Like life is so many rolls of the dice. I mean, every day, you know, I never saw the movie Sliding Doors with, with I think it's with Gwyneth Paltrow, but I but I know the concept is that, you know, if she'd made the subway train that she was trying to get on her life would have gone one way. And then if she missed it, it went a different way. And um, that's every day, right? That's every day that you do something, your life could go in a different direction. You know, think about that. Um, You could, you could, uh, you know, you could, uh, whatever it is, you know, you could be late for work because you, you got that red light and that could trigger your boss getting mad at you and serious repercussions at work. Or it could be that, you hit that red you didn't hit that red light and you got to work on time and something else happened you know so so it's weird if you really think about it from a cosmic sort of sense where everything you do do you sleep in an extra five minutes in bed in the morning right and like if so what does that mean maybe nothing maybe nothing but it could mean something right and Mm -hmm. it's just so interesting to think about that in life and um so so did i know i would say no i didn't know everything um about what was to come. But I did know, and I have always believed, and I think this is part of the punk rock belief system and hardcore belief system that is so important to everybody, is that if you follow your heart, and yes, not forgetting to follow your mind too, because heart can lead you astray sometimes too, if you don't put your mind also into the equation. But if you if you mix in, if you got your your, your Bunsen burner, right? And you got your beaker there, you know? And you got your little tubes of bubbling, frothing, you know, stuff. And, and one's pink. Let's just say pink is your heart. And one's blue. And blue is your mind. Let's just say. I'm making these colors up. But, okay, you pour in exactly the right amount of pink and blue. And maybe a touch of whatever else. Green is behind that. And that's something else. Maybe that's like a spirituality or a who knows what, right? And, and you pour all those things in exactly the right mixture you're probably gonna be doing okay. But the key to me is following your heart sort of first, really. You know, you gotta do life with heart. And and I would apply that to everything, whether you're a you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, it doesn't matter. Like whatever you do in life, um, don't ignore your heart. Don't don't I'm not saying to do everything on a whim just because your heart says, yay, you know, that's bad too. But, but at the same time, don't ignore your heart and, and don't – I know so many people who have made their decisions based solely on their head and not on their heart. And you'll talk to them and, and they'll say, you know, I hate my job, but, you know, but I make a lot of money, but I hate my job. You know, I'm like, man, that sucks because I don't want you to hate your job. I want you to, to enjoy your job. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's like your favorite thing every day 24-7, but like I want you as a person to enjoy your job and, and me too, you know. And so – so I think with Bill and All, I knew enough about the Descendants to know that they were a great band. And I knew that this was going to be three of the four of them. And I thought that, you know, the All album, the Descendants All album was phenomenal. And then I knew that, uh, you know, Billy was just an incredibly talented guy. And not just for his drumming, although, yes, he's one of the best drummers in the world. Yes, clearly. Like, he is. There's anybody who says that is... is is who doubts that is is this isn't a matter of opinion it's a matter of fact you know like bill stevenson is one of the best drummers in the world and i mean that across all genres and across all you know whatever metallica whatever you know to pick your favorite huge band rolling stone whatever i don't care bill Stevens right right there hold his own with any of those bands Mm -hmm. so um would actually probably make them all better frankly you know and so 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 i knew that he was a talented great drummer, but I also knew that beyond that, I knew that he had this vision for this band. And he he called me and he said, you know, and I still remember, here I am in this, my little apartment in Israel, in Jerusalem. And, you know, and he's like, hey, we're starting a new band. Milo's going back to school and and you're going to be the singer. And it wasn't like, would you like to <laughs> be the singer? You know, it was a statement rather than a question. Yeah. <laughs> and And I was like, okay um saddle up i'm going you know so so uh to myself you know and so uh so yeah i, I and it's funny because i'd been wavering on whether or not to stay in israel and finish my my degree there and um my, my grad degree
1: mm-hmm. and i was like
2: uh, yeah no this is where i'm going i'm going yep. to los angeles and gonna
1: roll the dice
2: and 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 try this out
1: and, sign and, from the universe the greatest things I <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah yeah you know and it's like you know in the matrix right you know morpheus with the 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 red pill blue pill whatever you know the you know do you want to know what what you know what's down the rabbit hole kind of thing and um i forget the colors of that i think the the red pill was the was the one that allowed you to see the matrix and the blue pill was the one that you would go back to sleep and wake up you know back in your your old world and i took that that the one that would make me see this new you know reality and um you know, offered by one Mr. Bill Stevenson and um, I'm eternally grateful
1: (laughs) that he did. Okay, so like we were talking about the Dag House, for example, I'm pretty sure the band was living uh, communally at this point as well. Descendants, I mean, or all.
2: Yeah, yeah, we were, we were. So I I think, yeah, I think everybody had been already there, they were already there. It's not like we all moved into a new place. They were in um, this uh, little um sort of strip mall place in Lamita, california um, which is a part of the south bay community beachish community um in la and uh yeah we 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 lived uh we kind of had two little spots there um in this very you know single-story strip mall type place um one was down at the end which was where the the office part was and then um and then uh next to that or you know door two down was the um was where the music part was where we would rehearse and there was this little back area, sort of a huge walk-in, a big walk-in closet size. Uh, so not really a lot of room where they had built, uh, four bunks one on top of the other, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was where we all lived. That's where we <laughs> slept. And it was the most, it was the coolest thing. I mean, you talk about going for all this band was going for all from day one. Um, and they were already going for all before I got there. But but as as the band all, we were all going for all, and it was great because you know you 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 might want to practice your guitar at or practice or start writing a song at two in the morning. Yeah, no problem. Just just go out and go down, and you could either go around to the end of the building and sit sit outside, or you could go into the music part as long as you didn't you know sort of crank it up or anything and wake up your your bandmates. Or you know you could go down to um down to the office area and play there. You know, and and um, it was just there was creativity flowing all the time, and it was just a very special, unique vibe that not a lot of um, people get. So, so I think a lot of people now, you know, if you reach a certain level, you're able to live as a musician, which is which is a true rare blessing, right? But but like even then, as grown ups, let's say quote unquote, you're you're in your you know, you you have a family often, or you have a girlfriend or boyfriend or a dog or a cat or whatever, a mouse doesn't matter, you know, and, and your, your levels of responsibility and, and comradeship are, are different. But back then it was just four friends or musicians making music together anytime, mm-hmm. day or night. Yep. And that's pretty powerful. And, um, you know as great as i love being and getting songs from sam williams for for down by law you know uh who's you know sam is one of the most phenomenal guitar players on the planet sam is the equivalent of of bill sam is the equivalent in guitar playing yeah um and yes so is stefan edgerton you know but sam williams from down by law is like probably yeah he and brian baker the two greatest rock guitar players that i've played with rock i mean just rock like stefan's can do all that cool just jazz, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. that, and he's awesome in every sense. Right. But, but like, as far as like they could fit right into Van Halen instantly the next day. Yeah. Sam Williams could, could do that. Um, and, and so could Brian. So, so, um, and, you know, Stefan could, but he'd probably much rather be in King Crimson, you know? (laughs) So, so, you know, which is, which is also cool. So, but, but where I'm going with that is as much as I love getting a song from Sam, you know, digitally or, Whatever I mean, heck, in the old days when we were first starting to do digital or, you know, shared songs, he would actually send them to me on a, you know, on a hard drive or something, you know, and or on a, you know, uh, thumb disk and stuff and just, you know, stuff we don't do now, you know, but, but back then. So, but, but anyways, as much as I love that and it is cool and I do have my music room and I, I'm happy to have, I'm, you know, super blessed to have my music room and, but all that said, like that ability in all to just be creative anytime Mm -hmm. and you know i remember i'd go and i'd see you know let's say carl was in the office working sitting at a desk with a guitar and i would waltz in like ready to talk to him about something or say hey you want to go get some lunch or whatever and i'd be like oh he's writing and i would just kind of quietly turn around you know and and walk back out and and either you know find somebody else or go by myself to alfredo's which was our which was our place, you know, yep. and or wherever we went, and and so there was this kind of just creativity flowing all the time. So, if you hear any of that in the first two all records, it's very real, never, never forced. It was a joyous experience, and it was so cool to see like Bill working on just perfect for, for you know, he would work on that song all the time, mm-hmm. and and then Carl writing Pretty Little Girl or and telling me how. He really was hearing the vocals and, you know, he wanted it to be enunciated super hard, like pretty little girl. So she's never alone, you know, mm-hmm, versus, mm-hmm, yep. you know, how I might have just instinctively sung it myself, which was great, too. Right. Like, that's my own way. And that's cool. But but I wanted to respect Carl's vision, of course. And so, you know, I sang it that way. And 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 I think it sounds great. He had the vision, you know, so mm-hmm. um, so stuff like that just was happening all the time. And, or, or I'd be playing Stefan part of wishing well, or, you know, and he'd be like, Hey, try this, you know, and I'd be like, Oh wait, that's it. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, Oh, that's just what I was looking for. Thanks dude. You know? And, and, you know, and so all those kinds of moments were just such joyous, um, creativity that I, I can't even begin to tell you how special those, those days were.
1: So you've talked about going well. A pit stop at alfredos but you jammed like the first day you were there. Do you know what you would have jammed on? Were like some of these songs written or or what, did you do descendant songs? Do you, do you recall? Oh,
2: great question. Great question. Um honestly, I don't necessarily remember what our first songs were. And so I will tell you and I'm sorry to your audience that I'm that I'm kind of um, you know, a, a, a blonde-haired Uh, Somewhat turning gray now, but you know, it's blonde haired singer type, you know, and I, I am also a fairly spiritual guy. And, and I, my, my head has never been as much in the details as it has been in the ethos and the spiritual. And I don't mean that religiously, I mean, karmically. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, people say, Oh, do you remember when you played such and such a club? right in in 1988 with with all let's just say right and and I'll say nope probably not <laughs> but if you say do you remember that conversation you had with that with that young kid um who asked you to sign his skateboard after the show and you guys were talking about black sabbath yes i absolutely remember that conversation so you know or do you remember where you were when you played a show in your boxer shorts because it was so hot that you took your jeans off before you played because we were all about to die from the <laughs> heat. No, I don't remember that. I think it was in Arkansas maybe, but I can't remember. But I sure remember playing in my you know, so so these yeah. kinds of moments, right? They're they're like so I don't remember the the exact songs we played, but I do remember playing that, you know, yeah, get get right off the plane, go eat, go play. And I knew I was uh, again. My 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 inner my inner cowboy was saying, "Saddle up! You're in for a ride. This is a bucking <laughs> bronco." You know.
1: Okay. Well, taking into account what you just said about you know uh, specifics, I believe the first show was at Dave Nasworthy's mom's place with the Chemical People. In the last. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and man, that's a band. I hope every one of your audience goes and listens to, well, both of them actually, Mm -hmm. Uh, I was going to say chemical people, but, but I would also add in the last, um, holy cow, both of those bands were freaking insanely great. And, and, uh, and we had such good times, you know, and again, even though by, by 87 ish, you know, 88, 89, those punk was certainly much bigger than it was in, you know, in 81. Right. And you weren't getting as much uh you know it wasn't as as chaotic as those early days but uh joyfully chaotic let's say but um it was still pretty rare right so like you know remember remember this is the think about how big the descendants are now right Mm -hmm. the descendants have a line in one of their songs saying couldn't sell out a telephone booth (laughs) right what i'm telling you is the truth so like think about that like the descendants saying that that wasn't like meant to be funny that was like yeah like it was really hard those days you know and and so so back then playing with bands like the last and chemical people uh i would say 50 percent of the importance of those shows for me was playing with those people and with those bands and getting to know them and getting to enjoy them and that connection musically and and karmically you know and um so those bands were like friends, and uh, I, I think it's just so different now. You know, now you're like, you know, okay, you're going to play XYZ club or theater or arena or whatever you do, and you know, yeah, you'll hang out backstage with those bands and and all that stuff, and that's cool and that's great. But those early days of all of those bands, Dag Nasty, Dys, all. You know, and to a certain extent, down by law, even the earliest days in ninety ninety one ninety two you know those days were you know, it was all about the the camaraderie and the spark and the flow and the magic and the joy, you know and and those those that's what set all of those bands into a different world. Yes, of course, you had incredible musicians like Bill and Stefan and Carl or, you know, Brian, you know, and and Roger and Colin, or Jonathan and Andy and Ross and Dave and, and DYS. Yes, all of that is true. And, you know, Sam Williams and Down by Law, you know, John, Angry John, you know, Stellar Hunter on drums, Dave Naz on, on drums, you know, Ed, Ed Early. like phenomenal musicians, right? Like just crazy good players. And that was all important, but... What mattered to me, anyway, was what punk rock was always about, which was family, strength, encouragement, love, humor, um, a little bit of stupidity, goofiness, stuff. You know, because we're all young still, right? Really yeah. young, yeah. and 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 you know, nothing like you know, young males to do stupid stuff. You know, so <laughs> so you know, so so, so all of us. Yeah, you know, it was just, it was just like a magic karmic time. And so, but yeah, at Dave Nasworthy's house playing with Kems and, and the last, uh, yeah, that was, that was something special.
1: Okay. I want to try and pick your brain about some of these songs and, and some of the songwriting and see what, see what you can recall. Okay. So a song like Whoage, that's you and Carl. Um, would really? that, would something like that, would he have had the music and come to you and said, do you, you know, do you have some lyrics for this or, or would you be singing along at practice and just trying to come up with lyrics? You know, how would something like that work? Do you think? You know, I will say that I think, um,
2: I, I think it,
1: with all one of
2: the, one of the good things was that there was no set format. You know, I think Hooage um, specifically was a true collaboration with Carl and and, um, we called it Whoage because, um, uh, you know, it had that sort of who beginning, right dun dun, dun uh, you know,, yep. and um <laughs> so um but, but it took, um uh, it took that kind of free flowing karmic connectiony stuff that we had to make all of those songs, I would say, um, but that one. That one was a true collaboration with with carl and i and 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 that was part of the joy right like um you know like just like you know what i mean like that was that was part of the the joy of of creating and again i'm not sure if i remember who wrote what anymore Mm -hmm. um uh but but i remember the creativity and talking um you know about it and and all that but yeah so so the answer might not be what you're looking for but but i will say that there was so much creativity and and um you know i think the lyrics were were mostly mine Mm -hmm. um on that song um you know typically i have tried to be um inspiring as much as i could in life because again i'm i'm look i mean i (laughs) I've always been the guy in my career for better or worse. Right. And some people might not like it and that's cool, but I just never believed in being so angry and hateful and bitter and tough 24 seven. I've got to believe that music is your, is your, is your torch, your beacon in a dark world, in a dark place. It was for me. Punk got me through so much stuff, you know, and in my worst moments, sometimes your only friend is your music. And, um, and so, and I don't mean your music that you invented. I mean, like that your, your music that formed your life. Right. Yeah. So it might be Iron Maiden. It might be, you know, it might be the teen idols. It might be, you know, uh, Frank Zappa, you know, or whatever. And whatever it is, like sometimes music is all you have. It's your safety net in life. It's your, it's your spiritual safety net. And so, um, my my belief has always been, and it's become more cognizant now that I am older and you know, so you go through phases right in life. And I've often said this as well. So I started out as as Luke Skywalker. You know, I think I was with the force. I whined a little bit too much, and I I, I got trained up and I and I slowly morphed into Han. Right. And so, you know, I by by, and I remember Bill and all, you know, Bill would, would say, yeah, you're a hot guy. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I guess, maybe, kind of, you know, <laughs> but I didn't think of myself as that. I'm just a comic book nerd from Virginia, you know, but but like um, but but to some people I, I had morphed into this, you know, and then sure, I obviously in, in all and, and down by lie, I've been on tour for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows all over the world and i'm so grateful for that so so let's say i'm from luke into han and now you know hey call it what it is i am i have morphed into obi-wan you know <laughs> i got gray coming in i am much more uh, at peace with the universe now um i feel the force you know i can help others in using it but all along i've tried to be the guy who people can 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 follow me as and not as a as as like follow me because any ego stuff. I mean like trust me. I love you. I will not let you down. I will be, I will carry this belief with me and and be glad to be the one who helps you believe it too that punk rock is something special. Mm-hmm. And and so, um. So I think when you look at the lyrics for Hooage, um, you know that was like you know we can try to walk away, but that feeling's there and it won't ever go away. You know. Even in 1988 or whatever, I was, like, realizing that it's something special and it's hard not to forget about that. Or I didn't want people to forget about that. Now, that goes said, That said, Carl wrote the bridge lyrics for sure. The sky goes gray and starts to cry. You go away and so do I, but you could turn it back to blue. Which I just, I, I mean, my heart melted when, when I saw those words, you know, from Carl. And uh, so that one was a true joint Um joint song
1: i have to ask about alfredo's i mean there's this there's a song about it here like what's the dave smalley go-to dish at alfredo's in
2: 1988 <laughs> yeah so uh it's actually in the song um two beef tacos number 10 that means so uh, it was two beef tacos rice and beans and um you know i'll tell you a funny story about Alfredo's. as well a lot of great stories first of all i love that we did that song and l.a Times I think did a story on it, oh, and really? like <laughs> and and Alfredo's phone was like just and Alfredo is a real person. There right, is a guy yeah, named yeah. Alfredo, you know, and his family. Um, and I would like to think, and and hopefully I'm not, you know, giving ourselves as a band too big of a pat on the back. I think we helped his him start, you know, where he had multiple uh locations, you know, and so because at the beginning there's just the one, and right. um, but. Uh, but i still remember when i moved back to i finally moved out of la um you know and that was that was uh, you know during down by law days i stayed after i left all i stayed there and you know sort of went back to school and then and then started down by law and and you know started doing all the wonderful things that that was that down by law did in those early days which was a whole separate story which was great and again joyful chaos you know but that said, I, I remember moving back east, you know, back to Virginia at some point. It was 97, let's say. Because even when I moved to South Pasadena and Pasadena, like, I could still go to Alfredo's, and I did. It wasn't like daily, like I used to, you know, be able to walk there with all. Yeah. But I, I would go down there literally to go to Alfredo's. And, um, and I remember getting back east. And this is the weirdest thing. I've never had it with any other place. I had multiple, not just one. I had multiple dreams about Alfredos, <laughs> and 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 you know, like being in Alfredos. The, I mean, I dreamed of like the taco. I mean, the crazy stuff like movie scene stuff, like a taco floating. You know, like and and I've always had this kind of thing where I I've dreamed that I'm floating or flying. You know, and and that that is transpired throughout my you know music life that I've been flying like a bird over fields and and streams and rivers and cities and or in space like the silver surfer right like just soaring Mm -hmm. through space right and and so so all of a sudden into those dreams that were already kind of would always kind of come and and come to me in in my dreams I was freaking seeing tacos coming toward me like floating you know like nothing has ever done that to me in terms of a restaurant <laughs> before, but Alfredo's did it. So it was the real deal comfort, you food, know, right? and re- comfort food, but, mm-hmm. but delicious. It wasn't just comfort food. It was truly uh, delicious, you know, and, um, and certainly, you know, recording that song was so fun. Dez Kadena came down and he, he was wrapped in a, in a in a, like a poncho blanket type thing. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, Mrs. Nasworthy was there, mm. um, and uh, you know Dave's mom and and Dave Nasworthy's mom, who's she was she was just an incredible human being. I mean, she is part of the all story as much as anyone. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so yeah, just that that joyful recording of that whole thing was incredible.
1: The like. Are we? Are you talking about the beginning with the dishes clattering and all that stuff? Was that actually at Alfredo's, or did you do that in the studio?
2: Um, man, did we do it enough? I don't think we recorded any of it in Alfredo's. I think it was mostly in the studio. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, Billy would remember more than me, but but uh, I just remember we had a lot of people down there. You know, at Alfredo's yep. in La yep. You know, that was a bunch of people, a bunch of our friends, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Maxine. Uh, Nasworthy was, was one and, uh, and like I say, uh, Des, Des was there and, and, you know, just tons of people, um, were there and, and, uh, super special time, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, like Alfredo and his family definitely knew about the song. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he actually, uh,
2: gave us, you know, um, a, a meal of course. Oh, and it worked then. <laughs> was very, very emotional. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, um, but he got a little emotional in his, um. And he's, you know, he was touched by this. And mm-hmm. apparently, like I say, apparently his phone was just because, you know, we put the phone number on there. And and so, I mean, people were like, you know, either fans of of all and descendants were calling up, like, just hey, you know, which I'm sure <laughs> drove him crazy. But also, oh by the way, people would come to Lamita now to go to Alfredo's, right. who were yeah. all fans. Yeah. And 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 he, he, you know, and I, he well deserved it. He was a. He was a nice dude and his family was wonderful and, um, you know, just, uh, yeah. Great, great, uh, great people. Great song. Great song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the single just perfect when, whenever I hear it, I just picture that scene in La Bamba where Richie Valens has to do like a thousand takes of a song. And then like when he's done his voice, voice is just totally blown out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. That's pretty
2: much it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yep. That's probably I would say so there's two times that I've worked my you know fanny off to get the vocal that I wanted and that the other person wanted, right? And you know, Billy wanted a certain thing for for that song. And and he he uh you know, I think I talked about it in the movie and everything, but he you know, he he was literally I was hungry and I was a junk food kid back then. You know, now I'm very health conscious and, you know, don't eat, you know, candy or anything. But back then I was just like, first of all, skinny as a rail and I would eat anything and, and it, you know, just melt right off. And anyway, uh, it was great. And but I was starving. And he's like, now nah, we got to do some more, you know, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, and he would he, but God love him. He got what he wanted and it was the right thing for the song. He worked me hard and it was the right thing to do. And, um, you know, so that, but yeah, that, that scene that you just described
1: was, <laughs> was pretty, pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> the photo on the cover of the single with the, with the dump truck, what's the story behind that? So,
2: yeah, we, uh, we, we got sponsored by Vision streetwear, mm-hmm. you know, skateboarding, mm-hmm. um, surfing, snowboarding stuff. And, you know, and at that time, anytime really, cause you know, um, how cool is that right to get sponsored by a clothing skateboard company that you really think is cool. Right. Like that's awesome. I remember down by law was sponsored by vans and Dr. Martin's at the same time. Wow. And, um, and I was like, okay, I can pretty much retire now because it doesn't get any cooler than that. Right. Like sure. There's (laughs) some big shows, played the warp tour all that's great i love it but but this is like the peak of success you know like i'm sponsored by vans and doc martens oh my god you know (laughs) so so those were like great great you know moments but but uh, in 1988 you know being sponsored by vision equally great and um so we we went down to do some photo shoots um wearing our you know you can see Stefan's got the the Vans shirt on, and we're all wearing, I think, either shorts or T-shirts uh, that that were Vans. And um, I'm sorry, excuse me, Vision, and and Vans. And so we we uh, we we did that, and then we went around on the um uh, the beach, and we saw a guy. We didn't go down there with the plan of getting sand dumped on us, but we we uh, we we saw this guy, you know, bulldozing and I think it was probably bill and he's like you know went over and talked to the guy next thing you know you know we're all lined up and boom and you know we joked about it like afterward because i feel like that guy like this was his greatest moment right. too because right. he had been wanting to do that his whole life to people you know like like i've got this thing i just want to dump sand on all these people you know like and and we're like would you please you know and he's like hell yeah i will you know so you know i I always envisioned that guy like hopefully like like having a cathartic you know moment um With uh with with doing that he's
1: still to this day pulling the record out and showing it to people right
2: oh
1: yeah 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 okay on a song like paper tiger is that carl do you think kind of echoing you during the verses or did you do like, did you do the backup vocals on the album or, or was it Carl?
2: No, no, I, that's all Carl. Okay. That is all Carl. Carl, yeah. kind of like what we were just talking about, like with Bill having a vision for, for his song and, and you know um all of that. Uh No, it was, it was all, um it was all, all Carl on that one. He, he knew what he wanted and um yeah, that was, that was, that was all him. And I say that in the most, uh, you know, awestruck sense because he—it was an incredible song, yeah. um, you know. So, and part of the thing too, right? So, if you're a, I think if you're a good singer, you don't just try and dominate everything. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. You you try and trust your colleagues a little bit, and I've always hopefully done that. And you know, that one was like, oh yeah, no, I'm not touching this. This is <laughs> perfect, just as it is. You know, and. Um, and and it was you know just he he nailed it
1: yeah some of these songs that you wrote Dave like just you don quixote wishing well wrong again like such a classic dave um, tell me about writing these songs like did were you writing on on a guitar how were you how were you writing did you bring any of them with you when you when you moved out to la or
2: um yeah great question um no, I think they were all um, fairly, you know, uh, organic from from living in, in Lomita and being with the guys. And uh, again, it was just one of those things where you would just pick up a guitar, you know, and, and um, there was an old acoustic guitar sitting around. And there was also, of course, Stefan's guitars. And I think there was a couple, you know, older guitars that Bill would write on sometimes. And so there would be, you know, instruments around and, um, you know uh i i tried to uh do my part for the band and um and and one of the cool things i think about those first two all records was that they there's no at least in my mind and i don't think in anyone's mind there was never any sense of competition right Mm -hmm. you might think there would be with four songwriters you know because because but it was never like that at least i didn't sense it i always got the sense that you know um you know bill was our acknowledged north star right so bill was was our was our was was the band you know leader and and you know um sort of our our guru right as well as obviously his you know musical talent but the vision for all and going for all that came from billy you know so so um and we all you know you either were on board with that which i was or you weren't you know but i was 100% that was one of the things that made me you know when he would talk to me, and I was in Israel, I don't know if we talked about this so much, but when we were on those long phone calls, when he described that vision of all, I was like, "Oh wow, that's really cool." Yeah. You know, and to some extent, I've never lost that vision. I mean, there's even an and a Down by Law album called All In, and mm-hmm. you know, so to this day, and it's a, it's one of my favorite Down by Law albums actually. And it, to this day, I I still kind of say go for all, you know, and um. uh you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go swimming, why just sit at the shallow end and dip your toes in? Why not just freaking jump in, man, and and um, and jump into that pool or jump in and jump off the high dive, right? <laughs> like or whatever, you know. And so so I've I've really subscribed to that, and I I kind of already had right by evidenced by hey, you know, I'm quitting graduate school and going to join this band, you know. So so I'd kind of I think shown you know that I believed in Billy's vision. And but so so Bill was like that. But as far as the songwriting, everyone was super encouraging to each other, you know, and and,
1: you know, even with Sunoqua,
2: you know, like I'd be like, what in God's name is this? And then I'd be like, it's actually kind of genius. Right. But like but yeah, there was never anything but like, yeah, let's let's go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so it was a real uh, karmic thing. So so the songs I wrote, you know, was just. Uh, me being me and trying to do what I could to bring joy and creativity into the world.
1: A song like Postage, obviously, like the lyrics are, are super personal. Was that hard for you? Singing, singing something that personal that obviously meant something to Bill?
2: Not really at all, because uh, first of all, you know, we lived together um, and and we we talked all the time and and so we i knew exactly what that song was about right and i i respected um you know respected what it was about and um i knew who it was about and uh you know and and so no so no it was not hard for me it was never hard for me because i try to put myself into the role of whoever wrote that song into their into their space and get to know it and then obviously put my own um you know uh, uh versions or twists or whatever you know personality into the songs uh, songwriting singing style you know which is why it's so interesting when I joined all I did not want to do I didn't want to be a descendants cover band right yeah you know? and that was one of the things when Bill and I would talk and I was in Israel and Jerusalem and he was in LA in Lamida, I would say look you know I, was, I I knew and I'd seen even even Peter Kortner, who's a great singer. Right. But like he, he struggled to he he's not me and I'm not him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I knew and the audience heard, can I say, and they were like they wanted to hear that. And that's understandable. And it's not, you know, it's nothing bad. It's just different. Right. It's like seeing, you know, um, you know, any singer is hard chain transition for the audience. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I knew, you know, I'm dumb in a lot of ways. But one thing I wasn't dumb on was realizing, you know, Milo Ackerman is 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 a, just a distinct voice, and and I think you know m- I could have sung note for note anything, but I knew that it was just his style and his ethos and his the, just the heartfeltness of the lyrics of that those early you know brokenhearted songs, you know, yep. like th- something about that was magical, and I knew I didn't want to try and match that because no one could match that you know and and i knew that i had to be in a band that was gonna be its own thing and billy was fully on board with that you know he didn't want to make a descendants cover band either you know and um so you know part of that's respect for milo's greatness you know and so um so we had our own thing going and um yeah it was just uh so, when I would sing anybody's songs, and that that goes for you know whether Sam writes a song in Down by law or or you know anything, I remember Angry John wrote a song in Down by Law, and i it was it was a you know it was a truly um, emotional song and um and I just talked to him about it and understood it and felt it and let it flow through me and um it's a beautiful song. And I, 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 you know, that he wrote. And so I, you, you put yourself in the jet stream and you soar on the jet stream, you know, and, um, that's what you do and you respect the songwriter and, um, yeah, you're going to be who you are. Like, you know, there's no question you hear a song that I sung, you know, you know who it is, right? That's my, you know, whatever it is. But that being said, it's also... I I've never believed in anything, but give the music the respect it deserves and give the songwriter the respect that they deserve. So that's a huge important thing.
1: So yeah. Yeah. So no, it was not hard
2: to sing postage. Postage is a
1: beautiful song. Yeah. Do you know anything at all about an unreleased live live album recorded at city gardens in Trenton with you on vocals? Like an official live album. I don't.
2: No, Um, (laughs) if if there is one, I'd like to hear it. Um, Me too. (laughs) um, I know that we, yeah, we certainly played there. Have some great memories of playing that place, man. Boy, played there in all, played there in Down by Law several times. You know what a great place that was. Um, But um, no, I don't know anything about that. Unfortunately.
1: Okay. Is it true that all all Allroy for Perez, like kind of the concept behind it? I suppose was was for it to coincide with the 88 presidential election.
2: So I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I know that, you know, Carl did the art, right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I mean that guy. Another another ridiculously talented person, right? Like, like he's like a great artist as well as being a great bassist, as well as being a great songwriter, you know, as well as being a great singer, you know. So like he's 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 ridiculously talented, and so um, so uh, yeah, I I don't know it, it 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 may have played a role because of that, you know. But we weren't creating an album to come out at that time. No, right. right. Um, I don't think there was a there was a specific goal to be tied into that. It just happened to be coming out then. And so I think we, we kind of were, um, you know, kind of maybe again, riding the jet stream of, of the world, but, but not, that wasn't, you should never let, you know, those kinds of things I think dictate art. I think art should dictate the rest, not the other way around.
1: Yeah. Do you know if any of the songs that ended up on all Roy's revenge were kicking around when you, when you were still in the band?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's okay, um, they did great, and um uh, you know little little different than I would have done it sometimes, of course, and um again, but you just uh you know you you go where your heart tells you to go, and um you wish the best for those who are doing something that you might have still been doing, you know i've always always really wished the best for for all mm-hmm. and um you know what a what a magical band i don't you know three singers and and all three singers made albums that stand the test of time i think Absolutely. and and you know and i'm a little bitter about it because one thing you know i'm joking when i say that but right like but like mary is probably my all-time favorite all song yeah it's great. um you know and and like that's that's like i had nothing to do with that song and i didn't write it i didn't sing on it you know but Boy, do I love that song. And um, I wish that, you know, I'd written that or been part of it. (laughs) But uh, it's perfect the way it is. And I I wouldn't want to sing it because Scott, you know, was perfect on that song. You know, so it's like I wouldn't change a single thing about it. Um, And uh, but that's like, you know, yeah, it's just it's that shows the magic of the all ethos, right? That that they could go through three singers and and still be. You know, the karmic connection was there. And that's that's something special. And I think all fans are someone special. So it's, you know, obviously the descendants, you know, are like the 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 the, the, the bigger band, right, mm-hmm. in terms of sales and audiences and things like that. But but all fans are fanatically loyal fans for sure. and <laughs> and and I count myself as one, you know, and and so uh, as an all fan. And so. I I always thought that was something really special, kind of like with Down By Law, right? The um, people who liked blue, which was our second record, you know, um, which is a little bit different, a little bit darker, a little bit more somber. We we were clearly not going to be that, you know, we weren't going to do that whole thing. And it wasn't going to be that kind of band. So I remember all the people that loved the first Down By Law record, you know, and then I'd say I don't know half, you know, the, of this that people heard blue or like, "Oh, I don't like that record, that record sucks or whatever." Well, the people who love blue were like the people that I love talking with, not because they loved it or didn't love it, but they were just so interesting and they had such different reasons for why they liked it and why we discussed it and you know, it was great. And and so and then certainly years later, I've heard people come up with both all and down by law blue and said, "Oh my gosh, I just really kind of rediscovered this and that's, you know, freaking great dude, you know, or whatever, you know, and and we've had great conversations too, you know, somebody who didn't understand uh, like I didn't when I first heard it, Sunniqua. you know, mm-hmm. like then they realized how great that song is in its own unique way. And you just let the music breathe and let the, let the, the vibe flow through you and just get into it and be one with the moment and live it, love it, learn it, you know? And so, yeah. Well, so those I, are the kinds of things that I think are real special.
1: Yeah, I think a big part of that fanaticism is the fact that, you know, clearly the Descendants overshadow all, and and for us super fans of all, it pisses us off, and we want we want to show everybody, you know, this awesome band, right? That we but love. you
2: know, so, so one of the things, I've been reading a lot of um, Eckhart Tolle, I'm not sure if you're familiar I, with him. I
1: know him, yep, yep.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and his his most famous book is called the power of now but the, the the second book um is called a new earth and and that's actually my my go to you know but the whole concept of that is sort of and it's kind of allular in its way but you know like um you know kind of like you can't you can't like live your life regretting something like that right mm-hmm. so be in the moment enjoy that all and I'm speaking as a you know fellow fan right and grateful thank you to everybody who's been so supportive over all these years thank you really truly that's to to everybody listening who's an all fan I love you I believe in you as much as you believe in me thank you I will try to never let you down I'm really grateful for every conversation every letter every note you know every person at a show this interview you know thank you I'm very very grateful so so with that all descendants dichotomy just just brother let it be it is what it is man and that's okay yeah. and maybe it's more special that way right like like you don't you know we're not going to ever do an all reunion that sells out the same size venue as as the descendants it's just not going to happen mm-hmm. you know and yet um that's okay and and just live it love it you know and be it and so that's kind of where I come at with that. I never viewed it as a competition. I always viewed it as kind of like, wow, what a cool, unique entity all is. And and freaking listen to some of those songs. And and I mean, I include all of them, all from from day one to, to to today. You know? And like, like wow, how cool, how fun, how joyous, how magical, how uh, quirky, how you know, you know, whatever. Hopefully, inspirational. You know? So all those kinds of things. And. Like, just let it be, you know, to quote the Beatles, let it be,
1: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Okay, Dave, I have like a thousand questions about all the amazing uh, art you put out after you left all and, and between what you're doing now, but I'm trying to be respectful of your time. So let's talk about what you're doing now for, for a few minutes here. Um, love the new Don't sure. Sleep record. It's great. See change. Um, is there going to be a tour? Thank you
2: yeah so so there there is we've we we did a few off of our you know around our first uh record we played with shelter for instance for a number of shows uh when we did the the first um turn the tide album and um um but but uh we had a scheduled tour for for europe and actually the end of september and um we had to due to some health reasons um we we had to 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 cancel that just Mm -hmm. recently so um very sad about that but hopefully once the new year rolls around um and everybody uh, is is feeling up to snuff we'll we'll be able to to get out there again but thank you don't sleep is uh you know again letting it be man i just kind of had these this these these guys sent me some some of their songs a band called very American, mm-hmm. and i was like wow this is really great and then they were like super big fans of of dbl and all and dag and and dys and i'm like oh, okay cool you know and we just started talking and then we all were like you know sort of like hardcore fans of course right <laughs> you know what else am i going to do you know i'm not going to be in a, in an opera now at this point you know i'm an i'm a hardcore guy you know so so they were like do you want to you know I, I talked to them and and said hey you guys i'm I'm going to do a solo show up near you you want to play with me and they said yeah we did and we did a few dag songs as the encore and from that came a. Uh, friendship and then from that they started writing some songs and you know i joke with them and i've told the story before but uh to people who haven't heard it i literally was hoping that i would hate the songs they send me <laughs> literally i i did not plan on being in a new band i didn't want to do it i i was like you know down by laws keeping me busy you know i got life i got family i got whatever and i did not want to be in a new band yeah. and i got the songs and i was like oh man son of a <laughs> bitch, these are really good songs, you know, so and don't sleep, man, you know, there it's a it's a it's a hardcore band for for guys who were kind of grew up with it and love it and have it in their DNA. But it's like hardcore done right, Mm -hmm. hardcore done well, hardcore done as you know, um, as it should be for guys in our age bracket now with the skill levels that we have and the life experiences that we have. And I think it resonates with a lot of You know, yes, I've seen high school kids there at our shows and I know that, you know, we've had some great younger people, but I definitely know that people that thirties, 40s and 50s, you know, like definitely seem to gel well with don't sleep. So I'm grateful that you like the record. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, well, I'm in that category, so (laughs) it makes sense for sure. Okay. um, Will there be another down by law record? Yeah, there will. Yeah, we just uh, I was just down in Florida
2: with Sam. Um, and we tracked shockingly in a week, we tracked, uh, 10 songs. Wow. Um, well, he, he, let me, let me paraf- or look, what do you call it? Clarify that he had recorded all the music and the drums had already been tracked and everything, um, with Matt, like, so, so all the music was tracked. I, I tracked 10 vocals, um, and did four shows in a week, which I still think is not bad for an old geezer, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty good. Yep. Um, so, uh, I mean, if I can still do that, you know, uh, I'm grateful to the, to the universe for that, you know, so, um, so, um, uh, yeah, we did four shows, 10 songs, um, and then, uh, that's going to come out as soon as I think Sammy is finishing his, his backup vocals and, and the first two songs I heard the, the, the initial mixes on and they sounded smoking. I don't know what the name of the album is going to be beyond Cleopatra. Um, and, um, uh we're we're it's it's sam man he's he's ridiculous his talent levels are just um staggering so i hope everybody who is an all and down by law fan gets a chance to and don't sleep fan gets to gets to listen to the new down by law album when it comes out i'm guessing it'll be out you know end of summer beginning of fall okay and
1: the bandoleros
2: yeah so no uh no news per se on the bandoleros um that's just such a joyful band. I, I will say that, you know, you have a band like, like DYS, right? Which is like, you know, or I would say don't sleep, you know, like hardcore bands that the you know, the fists are clenched, the you know, and and like then you've got the Bandoleros, which is like this joyous creation of of punk rock music, melodic punk rock. Um joyful, you know? Like it's the most joyful band i've ever been in Mm -hmm. and i mean ounce rounds everybody is smiling the audience is smiling we're smiling you know and and the the you know not all the songs are are happy and light there's some serious topics covered you know but but the there's a certain joy especially live when we're together and, and the the other four guys are just phenomenal human beings and and artists you know and uh so they're all uh well, the three of the four of them are Spanish, and one is uh, Argentinian, uh, and he lives in Spain, so he's he's in Denia. The other guys are are in a different city, but um, you know, um, it's just such a fun thing. I mean, the the album, the first album, was called "Join the Outsiders," and then Billy heard that and heard a couple songs that I sent him, and he's like, he offered without even you know, he's like, do you want me to? produce something for you and I'm like yeah well, yeah of course thank you you know like he's a phenomenal producer and and he uh he produced a, a our, our EP that just came out so for all fans um you can definitely go find the second um Bandoleros, um uh, uh release and um and uh and enjoy it and Billy mixed it so thank you for Bill
1: all right do you ever uh play any of these songs these all songs that you you sang on in any of your, your, your bands or your solo band?
2: Yeah, sometimes. Um, we actually did uh postage, believe it or not. It's funny. You mentioned postage earlier. Mm. We did postage on a recent, uh, down by law show down in Tampa. Um, and then, um, and then, uh, for some reason, postage seems to be one that, cause we've done that in, um, in the bandoleros as well. And, um, and I think we've done that and don't sleep actually.
0: Mm.
2: um, and uh, I think partly that's because it's a fun one to play as a musician, right? So, you know, getting that, you know, the the, the drum part is fun for a drummer to play, right. you know, yep. and the, sure. the 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 signature part is great for a guitar player, play, etc. And it's certainly fun for me to sing. So, um, uh, so yeah, so you no, know, we've we've done a few here and there, and um, I just did a live cover. Well, I actually tracked the vocal. I don't know maybe a year ago or something or six months i don't know six eight year months ago but um uh i just did the video for it a few months ago for this uh for coolidge and that's on um you can find that on uh yield youtube i think and um so that was really fun to do that and um um so i think the band is uh just like them oh uh, yeah do, i know it yeah i've seen yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah they yeah. they do all in descendants yeah. covers with different yeah. people singing in fact uh, milo did a cover of just perfect um that you can find and then i did a cover of coolidge you know so just fun to see and uh you know uh, think about uh how things would sound with all the different <laughs> right. people singing them and stuff so yeah so that was fun and yeah so those these songs are i hope part of uh, our own universe in our own lives and again like i always tell people think about punk rock okay so you think about okay let's think of a pie let's look at a pie circular thing and think about how big a slice of that pie is taylor swift and madonna and then how big is and you know ariana grande and all that stuff and then and 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 um you know uh think about then the slice that's the foo fighters and metallica and rock okay and huge bands like right? right slowly but surely and then you get to the hip-hop world which is you know also huge like there's not much of that pie left right yeah in in when you've done that so there's this little slice still relatively little yeah sure they're big huge bands that are big and that are making a good career and life and you know and and you know selling a, a Pretty darn good amount of records in the Punk world there are very few of them Compared to those you know The hip-hop world compared to the rock World compared to you know The pop star world Adele Whatever you know so so like You've got all of these you know I mean um heck you take Just Beyonce slice you know and like <laughs> That's a pretty big slice right there Right like if you take Taylor Swift and Beyonce uh, The pie's already gotten pretty small You know yeah. so so you think think of all Of music as this pie and then you get down to the punk rock side of that, and then you—it's pretty small compared to all the slices. And then you get down to, um, you know, the 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 world of hardcore, you know. So don't sleep, you know. Agnostic Front, sick of it all, um, you know. Um, Dys, whatever. That that's a really small slice of that pie, and then you get to that that slice that's the all you know slice that's and I'm not talking about again. I'm not talking about the the descendant slice because that's part of the bigger punk rock part. Yeah. But the still the overall slice is still really small compared to you know compared to the Adeles, the Foo Fighters, the whatevers of the world. So so then you know you you uh, you're you're really talking about still in this day and age in 2023 it's still a pretty darn special thing. Yeah. Like this podcast, it's really special. And I hope people remember that all of this music has formed us and shaped us and helped us and encouraged us and gotten us through tough times. And it doesn't mean that you only have to listen to hardcore all the time. You know, I mean, I listen to reggae and Jimmy Cliff and, Peter Tosh and you know and Bob Marley and Wailers and all whatever like I listen to that in old school you know Jamaican ska and and whatever like I'm listening to that probably my primary source of music right now in my in my life so you don't have to listen to it every day 24/7 doesn't doesn't mean that but what it means is if it's part of who you are and it's part of your background it's part of your spirit and your and your your heart like really respect that Remember that we are a pretty unique and very tiny slice of that pie, and and I encourage everybody to help each other, to to take care of each other in this little slice of the pie, and across the world, you know, of course, you know, remember that we are one people, doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how old you are, how young you are, you know, what your background is, you know, any any of the differences that people focus on. No, 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 that doesn't matter. We all bleed red and we're all people. So that's what matters. But 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 within the music world, remember what hardcore and punk have done for you and how they've shaped you and respect that legacy. And I find that all fans, and yes, certainly all the bands that I've been, you know, so lucky to be in, like though fans of all bands and I would say descendants, anybody, you know, doesn't matter. Misfit fans probably get it for the most part, you know, like, I mean, they're super huge and they're playing stadiums now, but, you know, but even that, I would say that in that stadium that the Misfits will play now, there's a lot of people who've been listening to the Misfits since 1980 or 81 or whenever their first stuff was coming out. So, like, we, I just encourage us all to remember that this has shaped us more than, you know, I think, you know, a, 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 you know, Taylor Swift song has probably maybe maybe it's maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe Taylor Swift songs impacted her fans as much as, you know, as much as Black Flag impacted me. You know, maybe, maybe. But, you know, um, I certainly didn't get it, you know, from that. I got shaped, forged by fire of punk rock and hardcore. And I got molded and, and shaped and forged, you know, and you did. And everybody listening to this did. So think how special that is. You are part of that really special slice of that really big pie. You're part of such a special tiny slice of it. So honor that, love it and keep that with you as you go about your daily life. And, and don't forget to smile, you know, cause, cause smiling at how that forged you is really special.
1: Yeah. That's well said, Dave. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me, brother. Really appreciate
2: uh, the conversation. Hope I didn't bore people too, too much. And if I did, I apologize. No way. So thank
1: you. (laughs) Right on. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. You too. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye.
0: Awesome. Just awesome. I feel like Dave has been flying the flag since day one and he still is. Mm -hmm. And I just, and I just love it. I just love it.
1: I, he has an amazing outlook just on like the decisions that he's made in his life about, you know, not having any regrets, you know, and and on the importance of music too. That I, you know, I know we we all feel like, you know, saying things like at my worst moments. Sometimes my only friend is music. It's your yeah. It's your spiritual safety net. I believe is what he says.
0: Yeah, and it's true. And sometimes it comes to you at just the right moment in your life. Yeah, kind kind of like when I got the can I say Denko CD. Yep. That was, it couldn't have been
1: a better time in my life to get that. And I still listen to it all the time. Yep. The Mike Gitter connection to him joining, joining all. Yeah. Yep. He calls Bill a veg, a visionary songwriter, which is so, so true. Yeah. He's quite complimentary of Bill's drumming as he should be. Of yeah. course, when he mentions Star Wars, how he's morphed from Luke into, to Obi-Wan or however he puts it, um, So you and I are both Star Wars freaks. We haven't really talked about this too much on the show. Um, But when we've got our Zoom on and we're, you know, he he saw what's behind me, which is all of my framed band flyers and Star Wars stuff. And he got super excited when he saw that and like grabbed his laptop and like took me on a tour of his place. And he's exactly like us, man. Like right down to the Star Wars stuff. It's hilarious. (laughs) 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 Right on. Um, he mentions in the interview that, that band, I guess you can call them just like them that does those YouTube videos where they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those are cool. Yeah. For people who don't know, they do all in descendant songs with various people singing. And there's one of Just Perfect with Milo uh, and Stefan, actually. Uh, There's another one of Milo doing one of my favorite all songs, Nothing. And then Dave doing Coolidge. So that's really great. People should check those out. I like how he's still going for all today. Like he never lost the vision of going for all he's all in. Yep. Uh, I like his perspective on the fact that all isn't as popular as the descendants. And, and I think like he says, maybe it's more special that way. And I think he's right.
0: Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I, I always think of the interview with Milo in the filmage documentary about how Milo, he like wants to shake people and he's like, why don't, why don't you get how amazing this band All is, right? Yeah. And I feel the same way too, but at the same time, you know, I, I like to root for All because yep. they're not as well known as the Descendants and that makes them a bit special.
1: Yep. All, all fans know this, but Dave says it in the interview, all three singers made albums that stand the test of time. It's so true. Yep. Yep. For sure. Like all time classics. There's a new down by law album, Ryan. It's tracked. Yeah. I can't wait. Yep. Yeah. Can you tell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like, you know, I just love Dave's outlook on everything, but at the end he says something like, you know, he kind of implores everyone listening to remember what hardcore and punk have done for you and yes. respect that legacy. Yes. You know, just what a grounded, humble, uplifting, inspiring dude Dave Smalley is. Yeah, man.
0: So let me hit you with some spiels out of this triple uh, X fanzine
1: book. Speaking okay? of Mike Gitter, yeah, hit yeah, me. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And here comes um, the the final tie-in to Joe Strummer. By oh, the way. yeah, right, yeah. So in this triple X fanzine book collected, it actually has inter- three interviews with Dave. One, when he's in the band DYS. One, when he's in the band Dag Nasty on the Can I Say Tour. And then one right after he joined the band All. Um, and since this is the All episode, I'll read from the uh, the interviews with Dave on the All kickoff tour, okay? Yeah. So, and this is from issue 20 out of the Triple X fanzine. And uh, it starts with an intro from Mike Gitter. Okay, about a year and a half ago, Descendants drummer calls me and asks some questions about old pal Dave Smalley, XDYS, who had just quit a band called Dag Nasty. Dave was in Israel studying foreign relations, but as time unfolded, necessary calls were made, the descendants broke up, and the band All was formed with Dave, Bill Stevenson, bassist Carl Alvarez, and guitarist Stephen Edgerton. Their debut, All Roy Says, should be out on the cruise label as you read this, so judge for yourself, But to any fans of DAG, DYS, or The Descendants, I doubt anyone's going to be complaining. So, and here's the interview. How did it all come together? It was us three and Dave. At a certain point, Milo wanted to leave, and I knew that for a long time. So I figured that after hearing the second DYS record, I should try to get a hold of Dave. Then we played a few shows in the Midwest with DAG Nasty, and after he had left that band, I figured that I should be talking to him. So I tracked him down in Israel and we rapped about things. The Descendants did their last few tours, and after Milo left, we decided to change the name of the band to All, which has always been a theme of the band, and here we are with me, Dave, Carl, Stefan, ready, go! And here's triple X to Dave. Dave, why did you want to hook up with what at the time you were approached was The Descendants? Here's Dave. I went to Israel after I did my last band, and while over there, I started to miss music a lot. I had always liked the Descendants from their Grow Up and Enjoy albums, and I was real into the Descendants from seeing them while I was on the road with Dag, so it was good timing. I liked the idea of doing music again, and a band that I really liked needed a singer, so it was pretty much mutual. And here's a a bit from Bill on the concept of all as well. Uh, Here's Bill, and he's talking about Pat McHouston when he passed away. Bill, I'm on my own now. Pat, my man died a couple of days ago when he sunk his boat. If you look on the records, Pat McHouston's name is next to mine on the song credit. We invented it. We were out on my boat. It's an extreme goal beyond any limitations or boundaries. Pat sunk his boat with 1,500 pounds of fish in a storm because he refused to say when. He refused to stop loading his boat and he went for the utmost possible goals. All makes things like love or infinity almost meaningless. All is the whole deal. It's basically positive. And then here's Dave. There's a line in one of our songs, Hooage, where we say, you've got to live life while you've got it in your hands. That's going for all. That's why I left graduate school, to take a risk and really go for all. Taking a risk and joining this band. Then um, there's a side column in this book that collects all of these zines with modern kind of interviews. Mm -hmm. And here's, here's a, an interview with Dave and it says, Dave Smalley goes for all exit Milo, enter Smalley. What was the experience in all like Dave Smalley? It felt like riding a cyclone in a good way. It was a beautiful, wild thing. While I was in that band, 80% of my time was either being in a recording studio or a rehearsal studio or on the road for like nine months, which is crazy. I'm not complaining, but that would be exhausting to anybody. I love that we did that. We were a bunch of guys in one hotel room or crashing on people's couches, living on $10 a day. Nowadays, if you ask most people if they would do that, the answer would likely be hell no. It was a great, fun exhilarating time musically to quote joe strummer sometimes in life you're just lucky i think i was very lucky to be in all i was lucky that bill really loved what he heard in dys and dag nasty and called me in israel and said hey come join my band right before that i had heard a tape of the second dag nasty album in israel and i was literally crying because i wished i had been on that record but on the other hand I was living in the city of Jerusalem, which was an experience I wouldn't have traded for anything. And here's Mike. It must have been amazing to walk into a band with players as great as Bill, Carl, and Stefan. Oh yeah, those three guys are crazy good. Not just punk rock good, but crazy good musicians. Stefan could be in Mahavishnu Orchestra, Carl could be in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Bill could be in Black Sabbath. Those guys are so accomplished on their instruments and brave in their musical forays that it was really a pleasure and a treat to be in a band with them. The cool thing about being an all in those days was we lived in a little office that was literally in the back of our rehearsal studio in a strip mall in we, <laughs> we We weren't supposed to live there, but of course we did. Yeah. The environment for creativity was unbelievably huge. We were basically living as squatters. And the only restaurant nearby was Alfredo's. All the ingredients were right. Bats wings, eyes of Newt, basically everything we needed for our musical Witch's Brew, that was all. It was immersive in the same way Black Flag had done before us. And here's Mike again. Unlike the other All Singers, it didn't seem like you were in the shadow of Milo or the Descendants when you joined the band. You seemed to escape that. And here's Dave. Absolutely. When Bill was calling me in Israel, wanting me to do this, one of my stipulations was I didn't want to be in Descendants light. To toot my own horn a little bit, I had enough musical street cred to be who I am. He wasn't getting someone like the Journey guy. He means the band Journey. The guy who sounds exactly like Steve Perry. I wasn't Milo. No one can be Milo. It doesn't happen. No one else can be the singer in The Misfits, aside from Glenn Danzig, at least in my mind. That other guy is great, but Glenn Danzig is the voice of the Misfits. Same way the undertones is Gold Sharkey. When he called me in Israel, I said, Bill, we're going to be our own band. We're not going to play half a set of Descendants covers. We're going to be a creation that is us. Not the Descendants 2.0,
1: but all 1.0. Nice. Yeah. My favorite, probably my favorite quote in um, the filmage documentary is, um, well, there's so many, but um, Watts' um, description of what going for all is, or the concept of all. And, Niagara Falls? Yeah, or he's just going like, and he calls him Billy, of course, right? Yeah. Billy just had this vision of just just really streamlined thing, just like a, a river, but in a straight river, no crick, I think he calls them cricks, no yeah. creeks, no tribut- tributaries, just Niagara Falls. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just awesome. Yeah. I've got a review out of this XXX uh, fanzine book as well. I'll mention that after we go through the tracks. Let's do it.
1: History lesson, part two. All right. How are we going to go? for all we're going to jump right in cruise 001 all roy says recorded november december 87 at third wave in torrance california produced by bill stevenson and richard andrews we've seen third wave on the last confession and awakening albums both engineered by richard and produced by bill and we're going to see it we're going to see it tons more uh I think by this point, Bill was really getting in there and engineering as well, along yeah. with producing. Yep. Richard Andrews gets interviewed in filmage, and he, he says, this is a direct quote, he says, it was constantly a battle with Bill. He had ideas of the way things should be, the way the sound should be, the way the mix should be, the way the song should be sung, and it had to be his way. And he was usually right. <laughs> like Bill just had a total vision of what he wanted to do and how oh, he yeah. wanted to live his life, you know? And I yeah. just love it. It's so cool. So, um in these future episodes when we're doing a whole bunch of albums on cruise, we might not go through each track on each album just because it you know, we just don't have time. But this is only really one album and one EP, so we're doing the whole thing. So, Allroy says, released on CD, LP, and cassette. The CD and cassette have two bonus tracks. So, track one side one. Pretty little girl, written by Carl. This one's always come off like a nursery rhyme to me. I don't mean that as an insult, but you know, that's just how it sounds. Um, interesting hearing Dave explain the way that he enunciates the words was something that Carl specifically wanted. I've always it's always yeah. struck me as it's always stuck out to me the way he, he sings this song, so good to know that that was obviously intentional. Love Stefan's tastic solo on this song and like all over this record, really.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the perfect pop song.
1: Yeah. Right away, you notice how slick the production is compared to anything we've heard from Descendants. Just like the backing vocals even are super layered. Yeah. Yeah, there's way more. Yeah, which I would just say is a big part of of Bill's vision for the band Mm -hmm. and for this record. The next song is Whoage, written by Dave and Carl. That Who intro with those big Pete Townsend chords, super good nug there from Dave, never would have (laughs) made that connection.
0: Yeah, it should be W-H, Whoage, right? Yeah, Um, love that.
1: Love the mix of the bass. It's way out front, and that is just such a huge part of the all sound. Carl's... Carl's um like he's just an unbelievable player. Um he writes the most bitchin' bass lines almost watt-esque on this one for me. Mm. On who yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean Carl really defined
0: that sound with your fingers where it's really percussive. It's, it's really percussive, it's kind of staccato. Um it's it's very pulsating yeah, very rhythmic yeah, yeah. it's it's it seems it
1: sounds robotic but it also swings just amazing yeah it's such a huge part of their sound yeah track 3 on side 1 sex in the way written by bill always loved this song trailblazer for me was my first all album and this is a standout on trailblazer mm. um just that line, why must we kiss each time we say goodbye? Why why must we always say that three-word lover's lie? Just a killer two-minute pop song, Sex in the Way. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Bouncy.
0: Bouncy track.
1: Yep. The next one is Alfredo's, written by the whole band. Musically, this song is just totally insane. Time signatures all over the place. I was kind of thinking about Frank Zappa when I was listening to this, just like the insane musicianship coupled with like hilarious and ridiculous lyrics. Yeah,
0: and the humor, the yeah. musicianship and the humor. And Bill is just a monster oh, on yeah. this track, yeah. like
1: insane. Giving Alfredo a hard time in the lyrics for not following the allular way of life and staying open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so they can come there whenever <laughs> they want. <laughs> Amazing that they even give out the phone number. That middle section with the all choir as they're listed on the in the liner notes, that's Milo, Dezo, Dave Naz, Bob Fitzer of Saccharine Trust, Ryan, Joe and Mike Nolte, Scott Paget, not sure who that is, Mike Alvarez, not sure, I'm assuming uh, Dave's brother, or uh, Carl's brother maybe. And then there's, as they're listed in the liner notes, the female choir. That's Ariane Owens, Shanna Lipton, Liza Katz, who's a photographer, possibly connected to Dave. I only say that because she took some photos of for uh, Can I Say, and also some on the DYS Brotherhood album. Ah, and also took those those two covers of the those last albums that we've talked about on the show. She the she, last yeah. yeah. She, so she was definitely kicking around. Around this era, Eliza Katz, and then Maxine Nasworthy, Worthy, of course, is Dave Nasworthy's mom. So that's the the female choir. I see you're holding up the CD. Does it have that in there? I got these out of the yeah. cassette, and I had to use a magnifying glass to read them. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. It's it's in here. Yeah. It's not on my LP version. Uh, I don't know if the LP came with an insert. Mine doesn't have one, but it's in the CD. There's also.
1: Um, there's also some other stuff here. Did you read the the additional off-keyage? Yeah, read that, but with Carl and Bill and Steph and and, the, and Milo.
0: Yeah, it says additional off-keyage. So this would be, I guess, you know, other background vocals throughout the album, Carl Alvarez, and then it has these quotes, Matchfoot, Hall & Oates, Tasmanian vocals. Yeah. Bill Stevenson, it says cheesy Tom Jones Styler vocals. Stefan Edgerton, Sinus Maxim, Sinus Maximus, Caphus Vocals or Kyphus vocals. Sinus Maximus Kaiphus vocals. Milo Ackerman, human suffrage, little Richard vocals.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of the 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 lyric. Oh, also in the liner, special thanks to Alfredo's Mexican restaurant, and they give the address and phone number and specifically say for takeout orders. For to go. Yep. Um the line in that section with all the, the people talking where it's clear, I think it's pretty, it's bill. It sounds like, them you don't go to Alfredo's go kill yourself. <laughs> a call back to enjoy with the, um, this is no place to take a chick. The fruit is great, but it might make you sick. Oh God. So check out this Ryan. Um, Dave mentions, uh, the LA Times article that there was an LA Times article on this and I found it by Dave Boehm. Oh, referencing like the song Alfredo's. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So here we go. This is from June 23rd, 1988. Maybe there is some something to the notion that the 60s are repeating themselves. After all, we now have a Punkers equivalent of Alice's Restaurant. The song is called Alfredo's. It's a frisky, funky tribute to a Mexican restaurant in Lamita that serves as the main source of nutrition for the song's creators. A band called All living just around the corner. Alfredo's is a love song, All's founder Bill Stevenson said at lunchtime earlier this week as he and his three bandmates sat at a booth in their beloved eatery, attacking an assortment of house specialties. Like the folksy small-town Massachusetts diner immortalized in Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant epic, Alfredo's is an unpretentious place that has found comically-minded troubadours to sing its praises. All, which makes its Orange County debut Saturday night at Night Nightmoo's in Huntington Beach, mixes backhanded jokes with heartfelt gratitude in a rapid-fire song that folds a bit of Latin salsa and rap rhyming into a tasty pop-punk burrito. Even the Russians go to Alfredo's. Even the Martians go to Alfredo's. My heart yearns for you, Alfredo. My he- heart burns for you, Alfredo. It's not just a hole in the wall, but it's good enough for all. Or, sorry, it's just a hole in the wall. The tune, released in March on an album called "Alroy Says, gives Alfredo's address and phone number while confessing a mercenary motive. Well, listen up, Alfredo. This this is for you. The reason why we wrote this is to get some free food. Yep. The, here's Bill. Uh, the free food part of the deal hasn't really gone into effect into effect yet. <laughs> 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 then again, he hasn't gotten up the nerve to present a copy of the record to proprietor Alfred Carrillo, who is curious to hear it. Hear it. Here's uh, a Alf, here's Alfredo. A man from Maryland came. Came about two weeks ago. He said, I promised my son to stop here and get a menu. <laughs> Carrillo obliged and autographed a bill for the for this kid's dad. All is a relatively new entity, but it has a long pedigree in Southern California punk. Stevenson founded All's per- precursor, The Descendants, 10 years ago when he was 14. During the mid-80s, he served as a served a seven-album stint as drummer for Black Flag, one of the area's leading hardcore exponents. Last summer, when singer Milo Ackerman left the Descendants to pursue a graduate degree in microbiology, Stevenson, bassist Carl Alvarez, and guitarist Stefan Aderton decided to change the name while introducing their new frontman, Bostonian Dave Smalley. What set the Descendants, and now all, apart from most punk, Influence bands that play at blitzing speeds is a f- knack for pop hooks and a penchant for lyrics that avoid politics. While Alice's Restaurant used food as a taking-off point for a rambling, absurdist commentary on the Vietnam-era draft, Alfredo's is about food, and that's all. Most political songs merely restate the obvious to the already converted, Stevenson said. In, in its serious moments, All focuses on the traumas of post-adolescent love and rejection, or comments on benighted personality types. In between, the band tosses out joking tunes, often scatologically oriented or devoted to the band's offbeat mystical philosophy, which is known as All. While, so- while the songs about this All concept are couched in some of the band's daffiest music, Stephen says this is serious. All is the result of living with real extreme passion, Stevenson said. It's a three-letter word that, with the biggest possible meaning of any word anywhere. At 18, I became obsessed with it. There was all and there was none, and there was no middle ground. <laughs> Everything I did was obsessed with this thought. Am I questing for all or wallowing in none?
0: <laughs> like when Bill's talking about all... It's yep. kind of it's kind of like Chuck when he's talking about swah. Hey,
1: yeah, yep, yeah. Except well, Ch- except Chuck's fucking around and Bill isn't. <laughs> 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 Among the credo's tenants, as expressed in one descendant slash All song, is "Thou shalt not commit adulthood." With its sharp production, newly prominent harmonies, and catchy melodies, mostly in the service of love songs, All Roy says is probably the kind of album most Descendants All fans want. Stevenson said. And it is the best selling record the band has done. That's interesting that mm-hmm. he would know that this early on. like this it you know this was written in June of '88, so the record's only been out for a few months. So that must have been you know promising.
0: Yeah, must have they must have just sold out of their first pressing right away.
1: Yeah. so that's cool. and then there's it just mentions this uh, all in big drill car show at night moves in Huntington Beach, 10 bucks. Are we going to do a cruise episode on Big Drill Car? Fuck yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. I'm in. Okay. The next song is Sugar and Spice written by Bill. Whoa. Another killer Bill track. Just like, what a genius. Carl's harmonies, the way it goes from those kind of jarring minor chord riffs into a total pop chorus and back again. Um, Total shred solo from Stefan. I I love that part where it says, get it through your head. It will never feel the way it did that first time. And back into that, into those kind of minor key verses. Oh, yeah. Just like top notch songwriting. man. Yeah. Carl's a monster on this
0: one. The the bass harmonics were always a highlight for me. Yeah. It always felt like on this record, the record had been building up to this song. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and then this this one just knocks you over the head. It's so intense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then we get into a CD cassette bonus track. How do you say the title of it? Do you say, would you say it's all theme?
0: I think so. I mean, I think the way you would probably properly pronounce it is all theme. Yeah.
1: But I think it's,
0: but I think it's all theme. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Written by the band. Um, This is kind of their their song about all, I guess, going for all. Uh, You know, there's other songs that mention the concept of all, but they talk about all Roy, who's their mascot. Um, When I was young, I wallowed in none. You know none is no way to be. (laughs) It's one of the (laughs) lyrics. Uh, Bill Snare roles in this song are just so iconic, you know? Yeah. Then we flip it over to Side 2, and just perfect. Literally the single... There is the twelve-inch EP, we'll, we'll get, which we'll get to, but there's an actual promo single with "Sugar and Spice" on the B-side, uh, and it says on the single from the forthcoming LP. All Roy says, so it was definitely came out before the the album. Um, it's totally the right song, like a top ten all song for sure. Yep. You know, um, you can tell they really worked hard on this one.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. and you know. To end side A on sugar and spice and that, like I'm thinking about the LP, right? To end, end the LP with sugar and spice and to flip over and the B side kicks off with just perfect. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, This is, you know, this is definitely, if there was going to be a hit,
1: I think is what you're getting at. It makes sense that this was the single for sure. You know, I didn't check if they made a video for just perfect. That might be an oversight on my part. Well, if you didn't check, then it is an oversight.
0: <laughs> but but whether or not they actually made a video, I don't think they did.
1: Okay. Um, the next one is Paper Tiger, written by Carl, another Carl classic, and that's that's like a trademark. It's spelled with two K's, Carl Classic. This is another one that I totally associate with Trailblazer. Dave and Carl's uh, call and response, the harmony guitars, like Thin Lizzy style. Uh, the way they come together on the chorus after doing that call and response thing, just so awesome. wreck is the next one. Stefan Music, Carl and Stefan on lyrics. I know Stefan is a Voivod fan, and there's some piggy chords in here for sure. Maybe maybe a few gin <laughs> chords. Um, this is an underrated song. As much as I love the classic all-pop songs about relationships and girls, you need these songs too. Um Descendants started flirting with these types of songs on Enjoy, and definitely on the All album after Stefan and Carl joined. But they really began with All incorporating more dissonance, jazz, odd time signatures, prog. Um, That really came into effect with All in a big way. Yeah, some serious metal chugging and proggy uh, sections and some bass chords from Carl. Bass chording, whoa. The next song is number 10, Wet, written by Carl and Dave. Another deep cut buried on side two of an album that just, you know, this song, I mean, doesn't get the attention it deserves, I would say.
0: Oh, it's one of my favorites to sing along with, though. Yeah,
1: yeah. It kind of gets overshadowed by other the other, quote, hits on the album, but it's a great track. Yeah. There are some amazing drum
0: parts in this song that I never really focused on until listening really deeply this week. Where the drum parts by Bill, he he kind of goes into a swung rhythm and then back into more of a straight ahead kind of four four. And it's so seamless in this song and it's really easy to miss. But now when I when I pick it out, it's just like amazing that someone would think to play it this way.
1: Yeah. And then the last track on the LP, anyways, is A Muse. I guess that's a, a pun. Mm -hmm. music by stefan lyrics dave and stefan kind of an iceman cometh type of track Yep, cool way to end the record unless you have the tape or cd in which case it's not over uh so on on the cd and cassette only we have don quixote written by dave probably the most straightforward punk song on the album actually tilting at windmills which is kind of the lyrical refrain in this song is uh a uh Quixote expression uh, from the novel, from the Don Don Quixote novel, uh, usually meant to, you know, it signifies attacking imaginary enemies. Clearly, Dave is a literary, well read dude. Mm -hmm. Um, So, no surprise that he's referencing a novel, but it's a great, just a great straightforward punk rock song.
0: Yeah. Classic, Dave. Yeah. When do I hit you with some dead wax? Now or later? Right now. Right now? Okay. So I've got three for you. okay? Okay? Yeah. Three. So side A on the cruise LP says, in eternal pursuit of all. Yeah. And side B says, Pat McHouston. Nice. The B side of the just perfect sugar and spice promo single says, steady getting it.
1: Okay. Uh, we've got our first look at the All Mascot, All Roy, drawn by Carl, holding a musical bomb.
0: Looks totally buzzed on coffee.
1: Yep. Uh, some of the things from the liners. A million thanks to the Nasworthies, dedicated to Pat and Cusatin, uh, 82863 to 121687. Uh, Gives a little description about what we've kind of already touch, touched on about how Pat died. We see some familiar names. Alan Gooch-Weaver, road manager. Dan Bugs-Snow, uh, stage manager. Matt Rector, manager. Monica Morin, Allistics coordinator. And then we're just going to touch briefly on Cruise 003. That is the Just Perfect Wishing Well 12-inch single. So it's a remix of Just Perfect. I, I didn't hear a big difference uh, between it and the album version. It's the same length, so it's not edited in any way. Uh, the B-side is where it's at with Dave's song, Wishing Well. Mm-hmm. Carl's bass line is kind of like a na 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 of kind of thing. I Actually, when I listen to this, I'm kind of surprised they relegated it to a B-side and left it off the album although both of these songs are on the uh, cassette and CD version of All Roy for Prez. Mm-hmm. But this Wishing Well song is just an awesome song.
0: Stellar, hey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's amazing. You talked about the uh, the the photo. Yep. In in the interview about how they're getting sand dumped on them and they're weighing, <laughs> Stephen's wearing that rad Vision Streetwear t-shirt tucked in. Yeah. And then, uh, it looks like Carl and his dreads. He's got a a vision shirt on too. And, uh, Dave's rocking some Top Gun shades there, I think. But then there's a drawing on the back of All Roy, uh, dumping the sand as well too. Yep. Photo by Matt Rector, their manager. Do you want some dead wax on this 12 inch or what? Yeah. Okay. So side A on this 12 inch says, she's my ex.
1: Hmm. And side, B, and side B says, All
0: Roy for Prez.
1: There you go. They were doing Just My Axe with Dave in the band. I found footage of it. Mm. And also Scary Sad, but it's like a very early version. Embryonic. Yeah, not fleshed out for sure. Yeah, And probably some other songs too. Cruise 004, All Roy for Prez, released on CD, LP, and cassette, recorded March 88 at third wave, uh, Richard, again, as engineer. Stefan, assistant engineer. Bill is producer. Mixed August of 88, six songs, eight on the CD and cassette. Mm-hmm. Uh, Just Perfect uh, opens the CD and cassette. And then we've got Skin Deep by Carl. Um, so if you're listening on CD or cassette, you can really hear the difference between the two sessions sonically. Way punchier and less reverb on All- All Roy for Prez. Mm-hmm. Yep. It still sounds great. This is just one of my all-time favorite Carl songs and one of my favorite all songs ever, actually. Another one that makes me think of Trailblazer. Skin Deep? Yeah.
0: Yeah, the Bill Stevenson isms in this
1: song are just off the charts. Just that line gets me every time. Um, It's all done with mirrors and painted smiles. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The next one, Wrong Again, written by Dave how fortunate we're all that they had four amazing songwriters and they, they all have their own obvious flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, this is just a phenomenal deep cut from Dave. What a powerful voice too! one of the greatest vocalists in the history of punk rock.
0: Yeah. And always such personal lyrics. Mm -hmm. If it's, if it's about, you know, uh, personal politics or
1: interpersonal relationships with Dave, so personal. Yep. And then the final track on side one of the EP, I Hate to Love, written by Carl. I I hate to keep saying it, but this will always be a Trailblazer song for me. Um, I probably heard that album more than any other All album, which is odd, especially considering I've definitely listened to Liveage more than any other Descendants album. Another Carl classic for me. Then we've got um, Wishing Well on the CD and cassette and then on we're flipping it over to side two, we've got son of qua written by Stefan. So when I hear stuff like this, I just long for the discussed but never released all instrumental album.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I just wrote all gets real, real gone for a change <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome. Stefan shows why he's the Shredmaster general on this song.
0: Shred master general. Nice.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then we've got postage written by Bill, the only bill cut on the e p and it's a banger. yeah, doesn't matter what I call you as long as I call well, you. I can't call you anything or or you'll always have me in the palm of your hand.
0: yikes, yeah, amazing Carl Alvarez
1: bass harmonics again, like just sprinkled in the song so seamlessly, yeah. And then we've got David written by Dave. This sounds like the, something that should be on like an '80s teen movie soundtrack, like thrashing <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's great. I don't. There's there isn't a stinker on either of these no, records. No, this is all killer, no filler. Yeah, um, we've got the cover of Alroy doing the Nixon "I'm Not a Crook" thing, standing on a literal soapbox. Um, Instead of the presidential seal, we've got a a vote for all is a vote for all. (laughs) (laughs) And and then on the back, we've got the all-stitution, which is kind of like the all-logistics, I guess, you know. Um, Freedom of espresso, lower the enjoyment, unenjoyment level. My favorite is spastic amnesty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Food reform. Yeah. Allistic legislation.
1: Manifest destiny. Yes. Alien policy. And the right to bear all. Uh, it has a lyric sheet. couple of shots of them on the beach by Matt Rector. Same session is just perfect. You can tell. I think they're wearing the same clothes. Some posed Eliza Katz pics. Stefan wearing a tie with his Dan Armstrong plexi. Yeah, not in the CD though. And I don't have an insert
0: in the LP. Is that in the cassette? Not in the cassette. So it's in the LP insert? Yeah. Ah, where is the insert in my LP again? <laughs> Why when I
1: buy a used LP? No dead wax though on all on all, all Ray for press Prez, Ryan.
0: No, no. No dead wax. Hey, uh we'd be we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention that some of these tracks are on the the all mm, mm-hmm. record. Um Good the one. uh the greatest the all, hits, I guess. The greatest hits are or best of. Yeah. Um, there's a number of Dave Smalley, all tracks on this CD as well. And, you know, when you listen to this best of all CD, it really just highlights how lucky they were to get three amazing vocalists Mm -hmm. and how, when you, when you listen to the, and there, well, one song is done by Milo on this record, but all the singers just fit so seamlessly together on this. It doesn't sound jarring at all. When you listen to this best of CD. Yeah. So I've got one review that I was able to find, and it's on the Allroy says record out of this Triple X fanzine. Okay. So here we go. It says all Allroy says cruise records. The record at last. Compositionally, this rate's up there with the descendants' finest moments, including some out of place moments of eclecticism apparent on all descendants' outings as well, honing their pop edge. All works best and might likely be dubbed the world's heaviest pop band, given Stefan Edgerton's knife-like guitar work enlivening potentially Malomar poppers, including Sugar and Spice and Number 10 Wet. Carl Alvarez's basemanship also dominates, pushing the thunder train right along. Dave Smalley resurfaces with yet another chameleon-like shift, his vocals moving away from Dag's post punk angst, DYS's Dio swiping, and screaming hardcore rage, instead favoring an omnipresent and direct pop flair that manages to incorporate the forcefulness that has made him Punk Hero of the Year in the Sincerity department, recalling Dag Glory Past on Whoage or Powerful Whimsy on Just Perfect. Production tends to be a weak point with far too heavy a drum mix, but minor points aside, all nicely picks up where the descendants
1: left off. Hmm. I don't agree about the drum mix, but it is uh, maybe a little too much reverb, but it's of its era for sure.
0: Yeah, it is. There's a there's a bit of verb on there.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. Whatever. It's it's also like a classic album, so yeah. You know. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. Yeah, I wouldn't oh, either. Oh, for a second. Nope. Okay, so now the hard part, Ryan. So what we're going to do with these Cruise Intrusion episodes is we're going to keep doing a ballot result pick, but it's just going to be one song from that kind of era that we're covering. So not one from each album. One from Dave Smalley, all. That's right. That's what we're doing. Yikes. So here we go. Ballot result. So Ryan, I usually have like five to ten songs listed as choices, and you usually just like know what you want. Yes,
0: that that's usually true, <laughs> yeah.
1: So what is it?
0: Uh, for me, it's
1: just perfect. Really?
0: Yep, for sure. I mean, I could go with a dozen, yeah. a dozen songs. Sugar and spice, sex in the way. There's just so many good songs. Again, there's not a stinker in the bunch. Wishing well. Yeah. Wishing wishing well. The B side of the 12 inch, amazing song. But I it's just a, I it, had all
1: of those. Skin deep. Skin deep. I hate to love. Postage. Uh, Auto wreck. Paper Tiger, <laughs> all of them, man. Auto wreck. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a good song, but for ballot result, yeah. Those, these are just the songs. No, these are just the songs that I picked out that as like the, my my top tier songs, but not. You know, I'm not suggesting Auto wreck as the as the ballot. Oh, result. okay. Postage,
0: postage is amazing.
1: Yeah, come on. I guess we better do uh, just perfect, hey? Yep. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, like I've said before, it's not like it really matters. People just get to listen to this all of these songs forever. So yeah. Yep. Whew. Hey Ryan, thanks to Dave for being on our show.
0: Yeah. What an honor.
1: Yep. Okay. So here's the deal with us, Ryan, this episode was supposed to come out a week ago and life kind of got in the way and it's still kind of in the way we're way off schedule and doing this like on an off night. It's just, I think we're doing pretty good considering Ryan, like we're, you know, we're, we're pretty routine fellas and, and we're kind of like flying by the seat of our pants here. There's a lot of non-routine stuff in 2023 for us, but we're yeah. still
0: crank, we'll st- We're still cranking them out.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess like I want to ensure, ensure, I want to make sure our listeners know, like we haven't lost our, our, um, our desire to, to finish these episodes. Oh
0: no, 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 no. We're going for Mojack all.
1: Yeah. So uh, we do hope to get back to weekly episodes here soon. Maybe even starting now, maybe not (laughs) (laughs) cliffhanger cliffhanger. Yeah. Well, we'll see what life has in store. So Ryan, what's next week or whenever it happens? Well, first of all, I
0: want to say thanks to Dave Smalley one last time for autographing my punk rock days
1: CD And
0: then next episode, it's SST-256, the HR charge record. Can't wait.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content.